Hell yeah. Um, so they go they, – now they have to go to Edu. They have to go to Galen's facility. Uh, this is where uh, Riz Ahmed gets his moment to sell his character. Why do you talk about That's this? all he gets. Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah, he gets his one moment to sell his character, and this is where he says, he said I could get right by myself if I did what was in my heart. Love it. In these in these classic war movies, and once again, I'm not saying it's right that they did the entire style of these classic war movies. This is what you get. You get one guy in the foxhole who gets to say three lines about his family back home or what he believes in, and that sells the character to you if the actor can sell it. And Riz Ahmed does so much with with with, with just a few lines here, and I really enjoy. It. I enjoy this like quiet scene on the ship where they're all kind of coming to terms with what they just saw and how they feel about it. But they're also questioning what Jin saw, because that's my least favorite part of that, is for some reason they spend this time being like, so you see you haven't seen the hologram, so then I don't know. Did anybody else see it? Anybody else see it? And I, you know, I Why are we questioning her? Why are we trusting her to do this? And I understand that you need her as, like, essentially bait for her father with the idea. Mm -hmm. But, like, this distrust that, A, never gets hammered out and we know goes away pretty soon is a weird choice for me in this scene where they're all like, mm, I don't well, know. I think, I, think saying, on the, I think on the uh, on the part of Cassian, it goes away when he sees what happens on the platform and how the Empire is about to get rid of Galen and his whole team and then Jim going out to, you know, I think that changes the trust for Cassian. And I think one of the things that's, that's great is that Chirrut trusts her implicitly. And always knows when someone's lying in theory. Yeah. Cassian, we're trying, you know, they're trying to show us that Cassian is a paranoid spy in this moment. And you're right. It's kind of like, it's here, to, it's here because there should be conflict in this moment. But I do like that they at least give Cassian the line of, I'm not the one you're going to have to convince. Mm-hmm. Right? Where it's Cassian's like, even if I believe you, and I'm not saying I do, we're going to cut to a whole table full of more important people than me that you're going to have to convince. Mm-hmm. There's something about this scene that, going back to what I was saying about, like, it, the scene itself feeling rushed of having it be this, like, talky-talk scene, but that it's very important to, like, the exposition, but then also, oh, the, the whole place is getting exploded, so we need to get out of here. That being followed up with this kind of lessens it all for me because that escape sequence starts to feel like an uncharted set piece moment where it's kind of like, no, 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 at any moment, like, the, the thing's right behind us and we're going to die. And so it feels so, like, high stakes that when they start talking about it, it almost feels like they're not talking about something that they just experienced because right. it, it felt like they had not experienced that before. Like, they just escaped a planet killer. Like, no one, they never have a moment where they're like, yo, what the, what the fuck, fuck was that? that? Yeah. You know, like, it's it, like they it, kind of let yeah. us assume because they know that we know what it is. But it's yeah. just like, I feel like movie-wise, it, it doesn't really, that's why the scene doesn't work for me is because, they're questioning the wrong things in that moment, I think. Do you know who sells this scene to me, actually, who says almost nothing? It's Jang Wen. Jang Wen, who is Baze Malice. Baze is – Baze looks completely devastated. And maybe it's because Baze didn't have to deliver this sort of, like, expository dialogue in the moment. Mm-hmm. But he really, I think, sells it in a, in a way where, like, if you watch him during you see the scene, yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, what, because we start with Bodhi's thing about I was too late, you feel it from Bodhi, yeah. um, you know, but you're right where it's like Jin and Cassian are, are kind of unfazed by it. 
they're kind of forest for the trees here. You know what I mean? The trees. Yeah. The trees. Um, <laughs> also, we're 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 getting to the part. We're getting to the segment where I fucking fall asleep every time. We're getting to Edu. <laughs> fucking Edu, man. I just don't know what it is. Where like all of the tension is lost here. Um, really quickly, I I just. Just because we're on the the ship, we're having these conversations. You know, Kazian's about to get the order of like still still kill uh, Urso, like your your orders still stand and stuff like that. And like she's gonna call out Kazian for like her like his orders, his following orders, and all this stuff, which I feel like is a great moment. It's a great back and forth between these characters who have to be a part of the, a, a team together and stuff like that. Where it's like, why are you just following those orders? And that is lessened by, later on, skipping ahead a little bit, we'll return to it, is when she doesn't call out the people who gave those orders, instead she decides to give an inspirational speech to them, which makes no sense for what the second act does. The second act is supposed to be the rebellion failing her, because the rebellion was like, yeah, we're going to blow up the, the, the place that you're on right now, and we're going to kill your dad and stuff. And then ten minutes later, she's like, but I, I, I rebel. The rebellions, rebellions built on hope. It's like the rebellion just proved to you that they're also a bunch of assholes. Yeah, yeah. like it, it, it well, just ignores everything that like both your dad died in like twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of which, we are on Edu, where uh, where her dad is. Um, the approach sequence once again. One of my favorite Star Wars sort of things. I love that Edu, where they mine this Kyber, is like it feels spiritually out of whack. It's like constantly, it's constantly in storm. It's dark. It's lit from within by the Kyber crystal. Uh, this approach sequence is just so well done. I, I love it so much. Um, now, there is something that I think is very funny about this whole thing. So they, you know, they crash. They're like, okay, well, we're going to go get another ship. You come with me. And, you know, Cassian's clearly making excuses for Jim to stay behind because he doesn't want her to see what's about to happen. <sighs> Yo, Disney Plus believes so hard in HDR. This whole sequence is so dark on my television. <laughs> yeah. like, like, I can't see... Like, I can't see a goddamn thing. I had to yeah. turn the backlight on my goddamn TV up so high just yeah. to see what was going on any on sort of emotional performance here which is yeah, like what is which is also carried on Cassian right now because he's in this conflict of like will he or won't he and again I think one of the reasons why the second act is kind of like in the middle before we get into the big fight of will he or won't he kill Galen all of the tension falls away from me and I fall asleep because I'm endlessly bored is because you know he's not going to do it. You get the one moment at the beginning of the movie where he's like, yeah, blammo, I'm going to kill this random dude. But I don't feel like we saw enough of that, uh, of like him maybe yeah. ki killing someone he actually spent a lot of time with or something for to make you doubt of like, oh, he might kill him. Oh, you know what I he think might kill him right now. Scene? And there's none of that in here, almost like the entire movie where it's like, oh, they might... Are they gonna die? They're gonna die. No, you're just thinking the entire time. Yeah, they're all gonna die. You're thinking this entire scene. Yeah, yeah. he's not gonna kill Galen. Do you know what I think would have helped this scene a bit? Would have been like, and this is no, this is I'm not faulting the man, but I wanted a little. I wanted more musical stings and cues for like the tension of pointing the the sniper rifle and the decision. I wanted like a little bit more of like a 
something, you know, just a little something amusing. Like, like, almost like the beginning of The Dark Knight, where you have, like, just that yeah. ring, you know? I like that. I where like he's that. just, like, looking, and I, and I want more of, like, okay, well, that shot he couldn't take because of a natural thing, and this shot he couldn't take because emotionally he couldn't handle it or something, you know what I mean? And I feel like a little bit of a little bit more of, like, tighter editing and a little bit of, like, tighter musical stuff I think would have really helped in that moment. I don't know. Attention. I agree. Uh, but I, I love I, the I idea of the I, I feel like the tension came more from the dynamics of play of not just the Andor stuff, but mainly the, like, elements of the Rebellion oh. coming in and the, the what the Empire was doing and, like, how much Fennec didn't give a shit about what was going on. And I thought they did a good job going back and forth between those elements that I, I might think, not have ever been questioning, is Andor going to kill him or not? But it was yeah. more like, oh, shit, how's this going to play, play out? How's this going down? Like, I, I think the scene works. Yeah, I I think it I think a lot of it works because of the interplay between Mendelssohn and Mickelson, fucking crushing it. That, I, I will out. give it that that tension I like a little bit. That tension I like a little bit, but emotionally, again, I, I feel like at this point a lot of our heroes are still kind of non-characters. So when it's like, oh shit, are they going to survive this rebellion uh, attack assault on this base? It's like I don't, man, I don't care. I feel yeah. like See, when, when Jin like sees like, her dad die because of the rebellion, I should be like, I should be like, yeah, the rebellion kind of sucks right now, man, and I should be angry with Jin, but I'm not because she's barely angry. Mm-hmm. What's happening? I like seeing That's the X wings come in and like see them from the ground level. <laughs> Again, oh, how do we? I'm talking like even like the, the implications of like, yo, the good guys are flying in and it's like we can question like where the commands came from, whatever. There are people, good guys, we know them to be good guys, pi- piloting the X-Wings and coming in and shooting all the shit up where the other good guys we know are there. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that alone like added to the boys out in the town having their drinks, having the conversation they're having. Like that to me is where the tension lies. Yeah. And, like all these elements at play in this one little tiny thing that, like, motherfuckers, we know are going to die in their beautiful raincoats. Top three yeah, dying yet moments Columbia also when he oh, does yeah, his, like, was... weird bow, and he's not even looking, he's just, like, kind of listening for the, the, the TIE fighters, and just blows one up nonchalantly. It's he does this thing with the, He does this thing with his hand because it's cold and wet, and he's, like, trying to focus in the force, and he pulls out, like, whatever, you know, his, his not bow caster. Um... He also, I love his line in this where, where, where Baze goes, or, or where he goes, does he look like a killer? And Baze goes, he's got the face of a friend. That's a good um, line. It's a very it's good such line. a good line where, where Cassie's. And then I also love where he's like, I'm going to follow Jin because her path is clear. Yeah. Um, I love that. Everybody else, you don't know what doing. I don't think doing, it actually but... is clear, but I like him saying that. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe he knows it more than she does. But I also question Draven. Okay, so... <laughs> Okay. Okay. So, Draven, so we, they're going into this area, and it's like, hey, send a message to the to the Rebellion. Tell them to go to Scarif. I can't. We're in the middle of Imperial space. I can't send a message right now. Three minutes later, Draven goes, I haven't heard from my buddy Cassie and Andor in, like, three minutes. <laughs> Should we send the entire Rebel fleet? What? This guy's a Tim if I've ever seen one. Draven's like, he's got an itchy trigger figure, this guy Draven. You know what I mean? Um, so I love, uh, I love that he's like, tell him to hold off. Jin's on the platform. 
you know, uh, there's the moment between Jin and Krennic. There are two moments in this in this film where Jin and Krennic nearly, or three, where Jin and Krennic nearly shoot each other, uh, and they get interrupted. And I love this one where they're about to shoot each other, and it's just like, boom. <laughs> It's so intense. It's so intense. Um, and I also do love that Krennic, as they're carrying him away, Krennic has one of those Star Wars moments that we see a lot recently where it's like, I have enough time to glare at you uh-huh. and be like, mm, oh, you. No, but not enough you. to kill you. <laughs> not enough to shoot. I can't yeah. walk through this fire, even though I've walked through fire before, but not right now in this moment. I'm very mad at you. <laughs> okay. A weird thought about the following thing where, where Jin runs to her dad, right, and she's sitting there and he's with the water in his face. And she's, and the, I have so much to tell you. And this is a beautiful scene. Yes. But is it funny to anyone else that the image her father now has of her is completely wrong? Like, he probably is like, wow, she's been with the rebellion all this time. Incredible. She's been here Super fighting and she got up. my message. I've never thought of that before. It. This is the girl I raised and she's really just been a petty criminal that just got to the rebellion like yesterday. And, hey, she came when it was important. And I think as I think as a parent you love that. Parents, she got kidnapped too. <laughs> but also but also Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and also I hope that somebody, I hope that my parents have just as fake an impression of me before they go. You know what I mean? <laughs> and the message to be like, I know you're out there fighting the good fight when she was not. And then he's like, you did it. You're here. <laughs> she was in prison with a Blutonian. A, a dirty Blutonian who had a coat full of parasites. Um, I do enjoy the... Uh, I do enjoy thinking about how uncomfortable it was for Mads Mikkelsen to lie with his knee bent like that. You know the way his knee's bent when he's le- when he's lying on the ground? He's got like he's got like his knee bent backwards the wrong way yeah, when he's lying that there. That always freaks me out because I'm really so curious like his, about like kneecaps and stuff too. That like yeah, not but it's not broken. It's clearly his actual leg, but he falls in sort of a ragdoll position where like his foot is up by his head and his knee is the furthest part down. And I'm just like, how long did you have to lie like that, Mads Mikkelsen? That's acting. Um, they get uh, they get back into the ship. Uh, Bodie lands the ship and says, "Well, you know, uh, K two says, well done. You're a rebel now. That's that's very nice.' Uh, and then <laughs> cheer it. Nice. Yeah, yeah, very no nice. condolences. Uh, this this is very nice sentiment. I think uh, cheer it back on the ship grabs Jin's hand because he can sense that she's about to confront Cassian about this. Uh, Cassian just gaslight gatekeep girl boss." here. It's just like, oh, you're in shock. I've seen it a hundred times before. You're crazy. I don't know anything. Now, he is a spy who's trying to keep his orders secret, but at the same time, come on, my dude. We know why you were there. Why are you making this lead character that we're supposed to root for until he dies so hateable? I don't think Cassian's done almost anything likable this whole episode, like this whole movie. But also on the side of Jin, where it's like, oh, what I was mentioning earlier, where she is pushing back against him. You shouldn't be a dog following orders. Stormtroopers follow orders, which I love. I love that dynamic. I love that infighting. And it's like, dog, 
Like, you're fighting a cog in the system. Maybe, like, you should have a word with the system. And, again, when she has a word with the system, she's like, let's do an inspirational speech. And it's like, yeah, she's mad at why don't you fight the people who the gave rebellion? the orders, you psychopath? What is happening here, man? Yeah, her character arc I, makes no goddamn I, sense in this fucking movie. It drives me I insane. agree with her fighting with Cassian here because Cassian is the one that she has had no choice but to trust. Yes. There's a personal level of betrayal between her and Cassian that doesn't exist yeah. with her in, like, the corporate rebellion. They've um, saved each other's lives a couple times now, you know what yeah. I mean? So there is a trust between them, and he's been clearly keeping that that were his orders. You know what I mean? Like, he he could have told her. He could have done anything, and he didn't. Um, so I don't mind her in this, but I do mind him in his gatekeep gaslight girl boss era um, because he never makes up for it in a way that I feel like on a personal level is cool. Well, he does get the entire squad to go with her to scare us. That is a good point. Yeah, you know. he goes back her up. Is it for her? Well, I mean, it's all I right. mean, if not for her, I feel like I don't. I can't think of any other <laughs> any other motivation for him in that moment. You know, she did the speech at the table. Um, but let's before we get to the speech at the table, let's take a short trip. To Mustafar, the lava planet and home of Castle Vader. Uh, I'd like to discuss. I'm confused for Castlevania. <laughs> I'd like to. I'd like to discuss uh, Vanai, who announces Krennic, the the weird old guy in the in the cloak. Yes. Who, fine. who his backstory is he was an Imperial inspector on Mustafar, who was driven crazy by lava fumes, and now considers himself a devoted acolyte of Darth Vader. Hell. The fuck yes. And here's the thing. In the He's past, good. I thought I I disliked this scene because I felt like it, Great scene. it lessened the, one reason. The, that lessens the thing later on. Oh, no, Tim, we're going to fight about this. But I, I have written my... I, we, we have different sides. Yeah, I, I, I wrote down my notes here. Vader's Palace, sick visually. This scene is dumb, fun, and I'm here for it. The shadow of Vader overshadowing Krennic to remind you how small he is in yes. the entirety of the Empire. When so the entirety so far, Krennic feels like he's the big man in this entire show. I fucking love that. I like that Vader because I like this cameo in the scene because of how it ties into Krennic's uh, politics story. It makes sense. It's cheesy. It's Star Wars. It makes more sense than the, the thing that we get later that I think diminishes yes. The protagonist yes. and the story that's about the protagonist. Yeah. And then we get Spader being a sassy bitch, which is the most Vader thing. I hope you don't choke on your aspirations. Are you kidding me? That is some classic this Darth is. Vader stuff, and it's 10 out of 10. It's perfect. This is him, perfect scene. That is OG. That's original trilogy Vader right there. Let's talk, about, no, let's, let's talk about original trilogy Vader. Uh, name for me all the other times that Darth Vader makes puns. I can't name them off the top of my head, but I know that they're there. Oh, is he a real pun guy? Is yeah, really cool? he is. He's a real yeah. pun guy, and he wears he wears rainbow suspenders, and he has a little horn, and he goes honky honky. See, I think that the start of this scene is incredible. I agree on the shadow. I think that Krennic in this scene is amazing. I think, I Vader think should that be taller. he is trying so hard to like be tough, and he looks like a piss baby because of it. Like it is clear that he is squirming and lying over his fear. And I think that Krennic is amazing in this. I think this might be the least intimidating Vader has ever been. 
he stands there and he goes like this. Oh, and I'm not joking. That literally classic. happens. No, no, but the way he does it is completely different. There is a powerful Vader point, and I am a huge Vader fan. The way he does it in this is silly. It's, it's, look, we know there's different people in the suit for Vader. We yeah. know that it changes. We know that this is not the same. This visual movement, the towering, imposing presence of Vader is not there in this scene. He stands there and he goes, oh, are you late? And then he makes a pun and he leaves. What? Okay. First of all, Great. I think, number one, Vader should be taller in this scene. I agree. I, I keep looking. I, keep I think looking the shadow makes height. up for it. I think the shot with the shadow makes up for it a little bit. The shot, listen, almost as tall as him. They, you're there. Like you're there. <laughs> you're shooting all day. You can make Vader taller. The shadow is great. But the here's what I'm going to say. If we the can make PG Tarkin, we can make Vader taller. <laughs> yeah. T- Vader, like, tar- like, like, Krennic should be up to Vader's chest box. Mm-hmm. Chest box. Yeah, and then, but he's like he's almost looking in Vader's eyes, and that's why I think like the point to me is almost the same point he does to Leia originally, like when he's like in in uh, in A New Hope, he's almost like he's doing like the disappointed point. But he's, he's a little so, different when it's your but kid. He's so small. Well, it's also different when Vader is is towering over Leia and bent over almost uh-huh. and pointing down. Whereas, like, Krennic's, like, I don't know, Krennic was wearing his tall shoes that day because he was like, I'm going to have a meeting with Lord Vader, and so I'm going to look Lord Vader right in the eye. I don't know what happened there. I will say this. I like this Vader scene better than the end Vader scene. Interesting. Because this is a Vader character scene that is integrated into this story. And it whereas, fits with the actual plot, unlike the second Vader scene. Whereas the Vader scene at the end was clearly, it felt like an addition to me. We'll talk it's about it. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it when we get there. The point um, I'm rewatching it as we do this, it's because the Vader point is this powerful, like, strong-armed point down at Leia when tall. he's doing it. And I'm watching it right now as we speak. I have this pulled up. Yeah. He's going like this. Yeah, he's doing gun He's doing gun he's doing. He's got, he's got, like, a little flick in the wrist. It's like... <laughs> So Again, sassy. he's sassy. Oh, he's it's sassy. A, why is Vader sassy? Anakin wasn't in. sassy. Vader is not sassy. Sage just mm-hmm. had to point it out. Oh, another classic Vader move. Tim Gettys just did it, everybody. <laughs> yeah. uh, he got tons like Vader. I think it's great. The only thing that I'm like, do I love it or hate it, is the choke on your aspirations line. Yeah. And it's the type of thing that makes me go, ha! But I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing, you know? I don't know that Darth Vader should ever be making me do that. (laughs) No, for sure. I think Vader's allowed to have a little fun with this guy. I don't know. Um, I don't mind it as much. He's usually like this, maybe not to the extent of the choke on your aspirations, but to Imperial officers. It's like the the Gordon Ramsay where he's very caring to, uh, you know, the kids, but then when it's like Hell's Kitchen and it's these people who say they're the best of the best and he's a complete asshole, like that's who he is to his Imperial officers where he's like, Y'all are supposed to be a fucking part of the Empire, but I see you guys failing over and over again. I'm going to kill y'all left and right in uh, Empire Strikes. I'll say that. You know? Here's, Here's what I'll say. He goes, what are you? An idiot sandwich. <laughs> yes. yes. I'll, I'll say this. The only part that I thought was weird was that he moonwalks out after he delivers the line. <laughs> I thought that was strange. Like, he's so proud of himself that he moonwalks out. I thought that was strange, and they didn't need to leave it in. Meanwhile... Uh, back at, on yeah, uh, back on uh, Yavin Four, we are uh, the rebel. The Rebellion Council just cannot agree on anything right now. Are we at war? Do we want to be at war? We better not be at war. 
Is Jin lying? Let the girl speak. Does this really exist? And if it what does exist, what are we doing? Let the girl speak. Listen. And if they if they do have what they're proposing, do they fight it? What is their course of action? And Jin uh, Jin tells them we got to do it. We got to do it. Send your best soldiers to scare us. Rebellions are built on hope. We got to do this. And Mon Mothma's like, baby, you know I want to do this. Mon Mothma's like, baby, you know all I've wanted to do for, for fucking 30 years is fucking blow this shit up. Are we doing this or are we not doing this? Not uh, doing this. <laughs> the rebellion just killed her dad. They doubt her and her validity. And she's suddenly this beaming light to try to inspire them. My note I have yeah, written okay. here, I get where they wanted to go with her story, but it's so cram-packed uh, in a two-hour movie with so many other moving parts that her character arc uh, feels rushed. Instead of a gradual reawakening into the person she's meant to be, she goes from her closed-off character to her leadership one so quickly it feels like a 180 and is unearned. This is how I felt since, honestly, the first time I saw the movie, and I still Great. feel it to this day. And again, yeah. I think it would have been better. If it was a Disney Plus series, but again, I get it. Disney Plus wasn't around back then. Even even a line or two in this soliloquy that that said something like, "I have, you know, I have less reason to believe in you than anybody, but I know how important this is." You know what I mean? Something along those lines. That could have gone a long way. In that soliloquy, I think would have gone a long way. But uh, unfortunately, they don't they don't like her they don't like her soliloquy any more than y'all do, and they say, "Get fucked." Um, yeah. And so she walks away to get fucked. Um, and and this is also taken this as well. I will say, I will say, out of this whole scene, do you know who I love? I love a calamari. I love fucking Radis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love him. Oh, yeah. Radis is Because he's, also, he's like, also like, let's go. And like later on when uh, they're like, oh, he already left. Him and his team left. They're already <laughs> on their way to fight. Going, um, yeah. The other problem Radis, is... Radis fucking snuck out. He got with, into his fishbowl and with fucked her, off. With her soliloquy, that's kind of like them bookending. The character arcs are done. Now we're going to go fight the bad guy. And we are an hour and 17 minutes in this movie, man. We, we, we wrapped up character arcs in an hour and 17 there's minutes, there's man. More arc in, there's more arking to do. There's more arking to do. There's more arking is happening. Where? Yeah, pull it out. Oh, they do it arking happening. The last act is just some, um, all right, I'm going to go die. It's it's the last act is a fight and die. But they do it so die. well. They die no, so they don't. No, well, they, they died from an explosion, and then a 30 seconds later, a guy looks over, and he's like, oh, man, my friend probably died in that explosion. Oh, I died in an explosion. It's repetitive. It's lame. The one I cared about most was K2SO, because, again, war, baby. Alan Tudyk, goat, absolutely goated. All right, uh, also calm down. In We're not scene, even there. We're not there yet. Scene, We're not there yet. Calm down. More telling, uh, not showing with this final Cassian speech before yep. they leave the base. Sorry, go ahead. Right. So first of all, uh, first of all, shout out to the uh, call over the intercom for General Sindula. Uh, the rebels are on the premises. The ghost is in multiple shots in this film. When, uh, and Chopper was supposed to be in this. Chopper right? is here. Oh, no, and I, I know that Chopper's, him. I know I that Chopper's in it. Do you know why I know? They used our Chopper. They used the Star Wars show Chopper. Yeah. Because there was no there That's was so no live cool. action Chopper. So they were like, you built so one, fair. right? Um, so shout out to um, shout out to Mike Michael McMaster's and Mike Senna who built the live action chopper for us, Mike and Mike. then we lent it 
to Disney Studios. You're welcome, Disney Studios. Hell yeah. <laughs> and now, we must talk about my least favorite Star Wars trope, which is Star Wars being real bad at explaining how they got their name. We have, oh, you're alone? Solo. Han Solo. We have I'm Ray. I like Ray, that moment. Ray Star Wars. We have all of these occasions like in which moment. this happens. I hate it every single time. And what's your call listening. number, Sage? It's Rogue. Rogue, rogue. One. There is no Rogue. <laughs> rogue One. And it's, it, it's so weird, There too. is now. Okay. And, but, but there is, still isn't. Even at, uh, I'm pretty sure, Anthony, oh at the beginning of Episode 4, oh there is no Rogue Squadron. Luke is part of Red Squadron, bro. And I don't yep. think they call for Rogue Squadron. Rogue Squadron isn't a thing until Empire, I'm pretty sure, because that's Luke leading Rogue Squadron. Look, if you... Okay, so here's the thing. If, if you're Blair. part of Rogue One... And you all, and the entire squadron dies. You're probably not going to line up to be part of Rogue Squadron. It probably took a couple years before people were like, "Okay, so let's call cool our squadron one. Rogue Squadron to honor the people who fell." You don't want the day after all of Rogue Squadron dies. You don't want to be like, "Hey, congratulations! You're promoted to the head of Rogue Squadron." Oh, I'm Titanic too. Oh, thank you. Titanic <laughs> too. Put me on. I just. Why is that how they got their name? Why is it? It's always the same cadence of, uh uh-oh, I don't have an answer for this. You've asked me a question that has put me on the spot, and I go, uh, here's half of it. And then the other half. See, my thing is, I'm with you that I I don't think it's great. This doesn't bother me in a way the other two, I think, are actually bad choices. Okay, listen. Yeah. Ray Skywalker, I'm still trying to wrap my head around. I don't, I don't, I don't. But. Han Solo being like, I'm alone, and then somebody at immigration and, and signing up for the military goes, great, so your name's Solo. Um, my, one of my least favorite choices in Star Wars history. I period. actually really, period, I actually really love it. I, I don't really love I'm, it. I'm, in, I'm somewhere in the middle. I get what they were going for. it. I still think the cadence and delivery of it wasn't great. One of the, the reasons I love that. it is I know specifically that the Kasdans wrote it as like a metaphor for people after World War II coming in through immigration and just having their names changed, having their, like, names given to them, being like, congratulations, you're part of the Army, congratulations, you live in America now, this is your name because we don't care, here's your gun, go fight. Uh, and I do like Han Solo though. When he like that that happens with with my fiance Gia's family, and she no mm-hmm. longer uses that last name. Yeah. But Han Solo goes by know that for the rest name. of his. But he's, he's like, you know what? Dope enough. I'm going to stick with it to the point that people just refer to me as Solo. You know but what? Also, I just convinced myself it's pretty fucking cool. Pretty fucking well, cool. Yeah. Change my last name to Solo. Feel it. Because also, come on, the space loner's last name is Solo. That's not his name. Yeah. He gave himself that, that name. That was always a fake name. Giving himself that name would have been cool as shit. I'm cool with it being a fake name. I don't think that needs to be his birth name. Welcome he could have gotten it in a way cooler way. Welcome to Solo, a Star Wars story rewatch. No, um, no I, can't, I can't do that conversation on top of this one. All I'll say is when they, they, they leave, I, I forget why I wrote this down. And it's a very important note. Uh, Jimmy Smith is so good. I forget Jesus where it is. so good. He's so good. I think it's the moment where he's like, oh, I'm going to, uh, or maybe it's, maybe it's I later. would trust her with my life. Yes. I would trust her with my life. Yes. It's my freaking daughter, and she's the most capable person in the entire galaxy. Love that. Wonderful. Fantastic. I wrote that down as one of my favorite moments. 
I love um, Bail Organa, and I think Bail Organa is precious and perfect. Just more Bail Organa at all times. I do like now. I do like the whole Cassian thing, saying we've all done terrible things for the rebellion. It's time to make Necessary. good. Or if we've all done these terrible things, why aren't you allowed to do this thing that you wanted? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I do like that a little bit, and I do like that. I'm not used to people sticking around when things go bad. Welcome home. That's kind of nice. Yeah, That's a nice exchange. Um, so. Let's talk about Scarif, the number one vacation destination in the galaxy. One of the Scarif? most unique live-action planets we've seen, and I, I adore it. I, I think it's really? really, really dope. It's a Mario Kart track, and they're like, fuck it, we're doing it. And I appreciate it's that Koopa they did. Beach. Yep. It's beautiful. I would go, listen, you get the feeling that before the Empire was there to build all their secrets, it was a pretty dope place to go. Um, so I do love, there's, a, there's another K2 line that I put out where it's like, where they're trying to get in, and it's like, well, this ship is an Imperial ship, so it should have a call sign, and we should be able to get in. Uh, well, what if the code doesn't work? It's like, oh, then we all die in the cold vacuum of space. And K2's like, not me. I can survive. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, this is where you start seeing that there are multiple versions of this edit where Jin and Cassian became more of a love story in Act 3. There's a moment where she walks by him on the bridge, and they give this little look to each other that's like... What's the hey. weird, more retroactive love story? This one, or the the trio love story in Revenge of the Sith with Obi-Wan, Anakin, and uh, Padme? Interesting. I thought you were going to say uh, Ray and Finn, with the comparison. Oh, and Ray and Finn. But Obi Wan didn't Zuko know he was uh, Katara, but not nearly as well done. But Obi Wan didn't know he was in that. Like that was like Obi Wan wasn't yeah. like Obi Wan wasn't there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I think Obi Wan was maybe the only one there. I we'll get into that another time. <laughs> I agree that this is weird. Um, I understand that moment on the beach where it feels kind of romantic, and we'll get to that later, but at this time, I'm just like, why now? In the yeah. moment you're about to die, everything becomes romantic. I'll kiss whoever's around me if I'm about to die, 100%. Sure. But, but at I, this moment, this little, like, yeah. uh-oh, am I in love with you? But yeah. the thing that, because they cut any romantic stuff that did or would happen out, you do get a vibe between the two of them. Like, it could be romantic, but it could also be like, we're just two hey, people we're, going we, to our death. We trust each other. Yeah. We trust each other now, and we're doing this. We're both on board. We're in this shit. Mm-hmm. And, it, um, and, and it's no turning back. And again, in, in this moment, this is where I wrote down my note of, like, all of them, not just uh, Jin and Cassian, the rest of them, you feel it, where it's like they... They have a good idea that they're going to their death here. Uh, you know, she gives the speech of make 10 feel like 100, which is absolutely absurd. Uh, I, I think the other reason on a character level it doesn't work for me is that, again, like I said earlier, you constantly have on your mind that these people are going to die. Even in the scene, they know that they're uh, they're going into their death. It's always looming, and you don't get enough time to fall in love with anybody with the characters to forget about that. And like I said earlier, uh, I, I think maybe before the show or at the beginning of the show, yeah. Star Wars Rogue One is Halo Reach. And the reason okay. Halo Reach works so well is because that is uh-huh. a nine-hour game where you yeah. spend a good six and a half hours before mm-hmm. any character dies. And the first character on your team that dies comes out of nowhere. Right. They're sniped so nonchalantly, and then you're rudely waking up to these characters that you fell in love with for the first two yeah. thirds of the, the story that, like, Oh right, they no, have that's to die. Uh, yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah. I completely disagree. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, fight, 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 fight. Here we are uh, during the big fight. 
after the big speech. Um, I do like "Good luck, little sister" is a is a is a line that always sticks out to me here from Bayes to Jin. Um, I don't know why. I don't but know how to say that. They didn't earn that relationship. Yeah. yeah. Like all it, the others, they didn't earn that, and they tried to put in one that was like, we're family. And it's like, since when? There's a lot we're of stuff. each other for like seven it, hours. It's like siblings. A, and like, it could be seven hours if we've seen them develop that dynamic real quick. They yeah. barely interacted. There's a lot of stuff that, that, that y'all don't, that y'all don't like about these, about these relationships that I'm, that I kind of let pass, but there's something about that line where I'm where I'm with you where I'm like that line the little sister cuz it never comes up before little sister is a that's a big that's a big term to give to somebody in a moment if he um, had said friend that already would have been a big swing because it's the first time you're acknowledging that I view you as a friend and I think mm-hmm. it would have had an impact that was cool it would be like I want you to know in this moment that I am your friend and that communicates a level of trust and that I'm here for you and that I care about you um but it's still new like now what if I told you friends is news what if I told you in the first draft he calls her sugar bear are you no. fucking kidding me no is that real no. no it's not real no it's uh, not real <laughs> I was so I believe you. I do, but that's something that I wouldn't do. I was shocked, and then all of a sudden, no integrity. (laughs) So mad. (laughs) After I've gotten that script, woman walks in. Tits. (laughs) Sugar (laughs) man. Oh, I love Um, love you uh, so much. What? This is your dad. So so they're heading into the. uh, So they're heading into the base now. Uh, Jin and. Jin and Cassian are in their cool imperial uniforms. There's I love the always just so cool. Yes. There's something so cool about a rebel in an imperial uniform. Like, imperial uniforms, I think, look good on everybody, but when you know it's not a bad guy wearing it, and you're like, Another premise of this movie was the kind of, like, espionage were infiltrating, and we barely get any of it. I wanted more, man. Like, the yeah. even them just sneaking into the base, I wish we could have, like, stayed in those moments a little more. I think somewhere in here, too, we get another chef's kiss uh, shot of Krennic because he's also coming. He's also coming to Scarif to find out about these uh, Galen Erso leaks. His ship flying through the kind of like wing of the Star Destroyer. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. so dope. And like kind of gives like the urgency and like I don't give a shit how closely I fly to another ship. Like I'm more important. I'm the most important. And also seeing the, the force field entrance which I feel like is something that up until now in live action Star Wars like media we had not really seen and I, I yeah. just love that whole concept and it kind of being the centerpiece for the dog fighting later on. It's, it's the so shield good. gate is the shield gate is a very very clever device to 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 use story device and also just a clever device if you need to protect the planet. So we have um we have everybody on here. One of the things that I like is that K2 has a different walk cycle and cadence than the other imperial droids. When you see another Imperial droid walk by, he yeah. looks like a robot, but K2 walks like a person. Um, so they have this uh, – there's a little thing that I want to shout out. There are some stormtroopers that are talking about stuff as they're setting up the charges, and they say the T-15s have been marked obsolete. It's about time. This is something that is a joke between everybody in the loop group that plays stormtroopers, particularly happens a lot between David Collins and Sam Witwer when they play Stormtroopers, and they always talk about the T-15, the T-16. I hear the T-17s are coming out. And it's just this dumb joke that they do in every movie because they've always done it. It's from the original trilogy, like somebody says it. 
but now they do it in every movie and they make sure they increment the number correctly according to where you are in the timeline. And they just do it off the cuff and it's just a fun little thing. Yeah. Um, so, director, what brings you to Scarif? You know, I'm going to find everything that Galen Urso did. Uh, then we have, like, we need a map. Uh, and I love that droids hacking things, which is called slicing in the Star Wars universe. They don't hack, they slice. So cool. Um, I like that it looks like the lockpicking minigame from something Bethesda would make oh every God. time. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's always like, that's how they get data, and I love it. I love how much shit in Star Wars is just because, well, that's how it was before. It's like, our two little droid thing did the little thing. That's how droids communicate with other machines now. It's like, all right, cool. And it looks cool, and why would we change it? Exactly. Yeah, it looks exactly. cool. It's the same thing um, with the Jedi. It's like, oh, they wear the robes. Why? Well, they wore them on Tatooine in Episode Four, so I guess they all wear robes. It's like, yeah, shit. <laughs> that shouldn't, well, that shouldn't, but. Um, <laughs> so uh, the distraction charges are blown as Krennic is telling everybody that he wants all of the all of the logs that Galen or so ever said, ever in the history of ever. Mm-hmm. Um and I love this, the panning shot, right? And you get, it like, the it's behind his back, and you see him kind of, like, slowly react to each explosion going off. And, again, this is specifically where I wrote my note. of like, I would have loved to have a series to see more of his career built up. So this moment where he's, like, I've had my plans taken away from me. Daddy Vader is, like, on the edge with me. All of the sudden, like, this is my last time to, like, fix something, and it's, the rugs pulled out from under him. I would have, I would have, I think this moment would have hit a little bit more if we had spent a little bit more time with it. But I still, in his own right, I think it's still a great, the way he reacts and the way he yells yeah. at everybody immediately, it's, it's a really cool moment. Mendelssohn plays it beautifully. Um, I love it. We, we cut to Tarkin and it's, it's really funny because you see, even behind the cold CGIs of Tarkin, you see that he's like, He's willing to let Scarif and Krennic go down. Yeah. He's willing to lose. You can tell that he's kind of willing to lose Scarif. Uh, yeah. Because he's, he's like, oh, that's where all the secrets are, too, right? Yeah. He's Fucking like, blow those up. Well, let's get rid of those secrets. Let's get rid of this guy that's a pain in my ass. And uh, let's see what happens from there. I don't know. I'm made of computers. Uh, now, when they find out that the like the Imperial ship is gone and that uh, Radis is gone and everybody's gone... They cut to a really lovely shot of Mon Mothma smiling that I really enjoy. Like, when it's like, well, we got we to gotta scramble the fleet to join them on Scarif. We have no choice now. And Mon Mothma's like, yes, yes. begun this Star War has. It's great. Uh, she's great. I can't wait the- for us to get more of her. I know. Oh, she's so good. We also get our R2 and 3PO uh, compulsory uh, appearance, which I enjoy. Yes. Um, when they break into the Imperial Records Chamber, I love the 2001 A Space Odyssey, Stanley Kubrick, fucking clean, mid-century, fucking... There's no reason for the visual metaphor of this for data, but I love it. Everything about this is not like... It's this giant tower core of data, right? And in order to retrieve the drive and the files that you want, you don't just tell it, like, hey, man, get me this drive. You have to grab this, like, UFO grabber game game. handle. (laughs) Yeah. And you've got to, like, maneuver it. And it's just this very physical Star Wars thing that I love. They're they're, they're like, okay, it's going to be the most Space Odyssey design thing we've ever seen in Star Wars. But who's going to design the top part? 
at the top of the ladder. Bowser himself. We're going to make sure that we have a death trap where the little hole just has to slice you every second. It's like the city in the always reminds me of the city in the clouds where Luke is trying to like get up and there's that like thing that yeah. uh, that trap door that uh, that goes in and out. Uh, I forget so like far. where yeah. in here like the fleets kind of come in. Um, I, I, I forgot about okay, the old... I got you. I got okay, you. Okay. I know exactly but also when, you, when you're talking about the um, them going into the files room, she gave K two S O a plaster. Look at that character growth. Now her character arc's done. Now she gave him a plaster. Everybody. It's complete. It. Now she can go off and die um, because you know that's always been in the back of our. They head. can all die. Everybody gets a blaster and then they get to die. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I want to say that while everybody is fighting on sort of the uh, on sort of the ground here on Scarif, and the Blue Squadron led by Merrick manages to get in before the gate closes, I love Merrick. Merrick is a dope yeah. character because um, he's just that cool British mustache rebel guy. Yeah, um, also really great seventies casting there. Yeah. 70s yeah. casting, yeah. super great. Gold leader and red leader are meant to be the same ones that they are in uh, in A New Hope, which I is like lovely. That, I, that's like a, the old footage that they kind of like repurposed and stuff like that. I That yeah. kind of stuff I like. That that I thought yeah, was, that was like, fun. that got me in the feels a little bit just hearing uh, the, the, the dorky red uh, red leader go, Red 5, where are you going there? And uh, of course, yeah. Oh, Red 5, like, red five. You know that Red 5's got to go. Yeah. Yep. You, you know that go. Red 5's got to go. replace him? Um, Who knows? Also, I want to say that when they're fighting the walker that comes out and somebody says Carabast at at, that's Steve Bloom. So oh. the reason he says Carabast is because that's that's his thing that his character says in Rebels. Yes. Um, also, another have, incredible shot of this thing coming from yes. the trees. Yes. The fight on the the fight on the beach is one. I mean, this is war movie, and this is the first time we've really seen war movie. I mean, we have the battle at Hoff, right? We've had, you know, some other stuff going on, but this really feels like Mm -hmm. a classic war movie, or even like a modern Michael Bay sort of war movie, right? Like, this is directed to be we are storming the beach at Normandy, and it really looks that way. And I I, I like, uh, just with like little lore stuff here, just thinking about timeline and stuff, I I like that these look like uh, proto-type ad-apps and I like how mm-hmm. easily they're taken out by X-Wings, which is like, you can kind of put the connection, uh, connective tissue together where it's like, oh, there might be a little bit of, like, data building that they got from this fight where they're like, yeah. oh, those ad-ads got taken out super easily, so by the time we get to Hawk and Empire, they're beefed up, baby, and they can take an X-Wing. They don't give a fuck because they got a shield generator, baby! But I love the uh, I love Baze's, Baze finds a big big rocket and he's so happy that he found a big rocket and he shoots the big rocket and the Adats just like no I'm still coming. So I'm that's still not coming. true though. It did the Undertaker thing from WWE mm-hmm. where it's like he gets punched and he just like looks back at you and it's like oh shit. <laughs> uh, I do want to say as they're going through project names and they're looking for the right. Uh, the right to me, baby. I love shit like this. And the, the moment we're in this place, we're like, oh, they got so many secrets. Which ones are they going to tell us? So, I mean, they do say things like Black Saber. They do say some other stuff, but none of that's been, like, one-to-one. I can tell you some things that are one-to-one uh, are the project names Stellar Sphere, Mark Omega, and Pax Aurora. Those are different sub-projects that were related to the Death Star that were talked about in the prequel novel Catalyst which is a good novel if you haven't read it. Um, and then Galen's weapon system had the code name Celestial Power. That was the specific system that Galen was working on. Um, 
So, yeah, there's some fun stuff for you. Uh, K2, of course, dies holding off the Imperials and is like, hey, if you can crawl up the very tall ladder. Climb! <laughs> yeah, but I also just love the thing where he's like, where the, where the troopers come in and he's like, oh, the rebels went that way. And it's like, hey, K2, what's going on? He's like, all right. And then he just beats stormtroopers to death with other stormtroopers. And the way that the droid is designed that his arms are just so long, like, it just looks great. Again, K2SO, rest in peace, the homie, shout out to him one time. Uh, His his death is the most uh, uh, heartbreaking for me. And I think, again, shout out to the one and only Alan Tudyk. Who gives a great yeah. performance? It's just the the way he says goodbye and just matches his body down. That like that moment is just is great. Absolutely, a, I agree. Most line. impactful death in the movie. Chirrut and Bays do it the most for me, but I I definitely I, I will agree on them as well. I think they're up there. Um, it should be Cassian and Jin. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, everybody's off doing their thing. I mean, at this point, Bodhi's trying to connect to the tower to get the they message out. They gave Bodhi something to do. Oh my God. He's got to get there. Um, Hi, he's trying to he's trying to connect everything up to the master switch. But yo, how do we get to the master switch? Well, only a man who can walk with the force can get to the master switch. Because there's a lot of shooting happening. Uh, the it. force is with me, and I am one with the force. Uh, Chirrut Imway walks out. Fucking get it, dude. And just immediately hits that switch, uh, and then. Gets it, and then Bays goes out because he's like, absolutely not. Mm. Uh, meanwhile, here in this tiny, tiny shaft where everybody's climbing, Krennic gets to the shaft. We've got blasters firing. Krennic's a pretty good shot, in all honesty. He's a better mm-hmm. shot than most Imperials are. Yeah. Like, Krennic hits things. Krennic <laughs> hits Cassian. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, I hate that moment, man. I, I and the way he like, out death. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do like how like vitriolic it is. The fall too. Like he he should have died there. That should have been a nonchalant died. death because the more a film treats it nonchalantly, I feel like the more it's like tragic for the viewer. Where it's like, oh my god, he just kind of died like a like he was just a a dude and not the protagonist of the movie. Yeah, and that's, uh, I felt like that moment would have been so heartbreaking and yeah, and yeah. coming back to just die with Jin, I felt like lessens that moment 100%. Yeah, it's interesting. I like it as the, I like it as sort of the, the closing of their story of, of trusting and protecting each other, but I get what you're saying. That could have happened also in the shaft. Thank there. God. I thought you set it up where you're like, that's interesting. I completely disagree. And then you started. No, 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 no. Um, but, you know, as they're climbing up uh, and they're trying to get through, uh, they finally get through to Radis, who's just fucking dope as shit. Radis is so, so fucking hard. dope. Um, you know, tie, TIE fighters, like, like how many TIE fighters are coming out of this shield ring? Like, there are a hundred TIE fighters in this shield gate. They're blowing up everybody, and they get this thing that's like, hey, if you can open up this shield, I promise you, we've got everything you need to win this thing. And Radis goes, I got plans. I got an idea. Where's the hammerhead shit? (laughs) I love, this is such a good like, I just love it. I love this whole sequence. I love the idea. Because this is the most Flash Gordon-ass, like, moment in the Star Wars. Yes. But also, it's just, like, it feels like 
last-ditch effort, real kind of military stuff. Like, well, okay, well, yeah. we can push this truck off of this ravine. Like, we can hit, you know it, what I mean? It, like, it's, it's the really moment from the Flash Gordon movie where, uh, I forget the character name, where he's like, you can't live forever. Dave! And we're <laughs> like, <laughs> Radish is just like, give me the fucking hammerhead! Smash it into the Star It's so fucking dope. And just the shot of the hammerhead going into the Star Destroyer later, where the Star Destroyer yeah. just... Wreck shop of the other one just so easily, and then it's a great shot. Both of them crashing into the the force field, which is very reminiscent of mm-hmm. uh, the one that crashes into Vader starts the uh, uh, Star Destroyer in um, Jedi. Fucking sick! It's sick as hell. Uh, unfortunately, to get that message out, uh, Bodhi uh, became some uh, some thermal detonator fodder. This is for um, you, Galen. Uh, cool. So that's kind of a bummer. Cool. We used to Sweet. say, we used to say, uh, Bodie Rook died for your gins in the office. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you did. Um, okay, good. Thank you. Uh, so I also love here that as they are, uh, you know, we talked about the Galaxy Quest scene where Jin's got to get through like the the fucking chomper bits. Um, I also just love Imperial and Star Wars UI, and I want to talk about how when you plug this big data cartridge in, there's a little there's a little door that closes, and then there's like it's not just like from zero to one hundred on a single bar. It's Star Wars. It's chunks of fifteen different bars of data that are moving at different speeds, and I just because why not why not just make things look cool. Um, so she gets a notice to uh, reset antenna alignment because nobody's walked out onto a catwalk yet in the Star Wars. Um, somebody has to walk out onto a very thin catwalk to end the Star Wars. Yeah. And so Jin does it, and she turns around, and who's there? It's Orson Krennic. Um, and they have a very good back and forth. Who are you? He does oh, you know who like, He did this before Thanos does where he's like, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, who even are you causing me all this trouble? Yeah, so, I, I, I honestly way. love this moment because, like, he, great. He, he sees his career and uh, his livelihood in the in the system fall apart. And the entire time, he's just kind of yeah. like, oh. he's he's thought of it as, like, random happenstance of, like, oh, my God, these weird little bugs that are, like, keep coming after me. But then to, like, actually have it face to face where, yeah, you know, his blustering is his blustering is amazing. All I've lost is time. The yeah. shield, like, like the shield is closed. You haven't transmitted anything. All I've lost is time. You're gonna die along with this rebellion. And then there's Cassian. Um, there he is. Uh, and there he the is. Uh, there he is. And there. they did that. And they they shot. He shoots Krennic, and she's about to like just go off on Krennic, which like, I mean, let her get one shot in on. I know. Krennic. You know what I mean? At this He's like, point, no, you're too good for that. Come on, let's go. I shot him already. Well, I think maybe at this point they feel like maybe they're still getting out of there. They're going to help people. But then the Death Star appears on the horizon. Oh, uh, it looming. Has up. Yeah, it looming. Just like in the the horizon shot, also very cool, very wallpapery uh, uh, worthy there. But also, my favorite shot in this movie. I've mm-hmm. already talked about the other Death Star shots. All the best shots involve the Death Star in this movie. Okay. The one with Krennic looking up as he's about to die at the the thing that his entire career was built on, looking back down on him about to destroy yep. him, fucking 
amazing cool. visual storytelling. That Would you say God. that he choked on his aspirations, Barrett? Hey, Vader was right. Anthony? Anthony? He kind of... He kind of did. Um, I will say, as they're coming down from the Citadel Tower, uh, there was definitely... Uh, I remember hearing about, and I think... I think they even talked about it. There was a shot in that elevator where Jin and Cassian kiss, and I'm glad that they took that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did not need to be romantic, and I'm glad that they decided, you know, shoot it both ways, see how it feels. Sure. But I'm glad that they decided it didn't need that because it really didn't. The two friends holding hands at the end of the world, knowing that, that they did the right thing, is so much more powerful to me then, you know, and maybe we could have been space boyfriend and space girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, of course, we get Radis, who is just like, man, I can't believe they pulled it off. May the force be with you, Rogue Those One. crazy kids down there. Rest in yeah. peace, Rogue One. Rogue One. You were a real one. Radis out. Um, I just want to, the, the shot where they're all like, all right, we did the damn thing, let's get the fuck out of here. My note here is, I'm more sad about the rebel ship that crashed into Vader's ship than I am about the crew dying. There's hope that they can actually get away, and it's ripped away from us. It, we're, they're about to go into hyperspace, and it just crashes into Vader's like it's nothing. Oh, that, I yeah. think, is more tragic storytelling about a group of people, you don't even fucking know who's on that ship. <laughs> and I'm I do like, like that. Even oh, character development. I do oh. like that. Because, like, Vader shows up, and they're like, prepare for hyperspace. And they're just like, okay, we're prepared. Oh, no. Yeah. We just, oh, dear. That's so how you do that. that. That's it's You see about, so like, good. 30% of that fleet goes out before they get to jump, oh, yeah. which is amazing. And then we get to the sequence that I think the majority of people say is their favorite part of this movie. I think most people will tell you that this is the scene that really sells Rogue One for them, and it's what they what they went to the theater for, um, which, no shade, because I think this is the first time in live action we see Vader the way he appears in our minds. Because when you think about original trilogy and fight choreography and stuff, it was very simplistic fight choreography. We also didn't have the, uh, the extent of the Force powers that we had, you know, with the prequels and the sequels and the cartoons. There is something really amazing about seeing Vader wreck shop in a way that he always did in my head when I was a kid. If this was a scene in and up by itself, or in a different movie that made more sense for mm -hmm. Vader to be there, like, even, even, like, not talking about its relation to the rest of the movie... This is one of this is the coolest scene in all of Star Wars. It's so frightening. It's an, it, it, like the the power of just his lightsaber turning on in the dark, showing him and his like his entire just scary entity is so powerful. And just like the nonchalant where you see the background where he's got the guy force held up to the ceiling, just slashes him while he's still walking away. Oof, it is I've got so those. fucking good. But here's my. Note. I, no, wait, wait, wait. Mm. I've, got, I've got those background lights on my TV. That's cool. And the mm -hmm. first thing I watched with those background lights on yes. my TV was Sage. Sage, I think you were there that day, I weren't was. you? That's real we, cool. Like, I, 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 haven't haven't I, haven't, I didn't have my, back, my, TV, uh, my, my uh, lights on for Rogue One. I should go back and watch Oh, no. I was like, you, you put out stats that this is the most watched you think 
That really? is so awesome. That's that is. so funny. That makes that's, sense. Yeah. Like, swing yeah. right, like, they were up. Like, that's a match. And um, I do love that he fights, he fights, like, original trilogy Vader fights. It's one hand. It's heavy slashes. There's none of the, like, acrobatic stuff. He's just very much like, I'm going to pull this. I'm going to throw this. I'm going to slice mm-hmm. you in half. You have a little thing that I want. You better give it to me because I'm coming. Yeah. I'm coming for it. Yeah. All your stupid helmets, I'm coming. But here's my problem. What's here's your problem? my problem. The end quickly shifts and moves on from the tragic end of these characters. What this movie was supposed to be about was the, the yeah. group of characters that come together, you fall in love with, and this is... no. I've said this before, no shade, and I, you know... A lot of people worked on this movie. There were a lot of rewrites. There were a lot of uh, cuts, a lot of re-edits and stuff like that, a lot of reshoots. So I don't know, like, what the original intentions were for the ending of the scene. And, you know, I'm a big, dumb idiot who has never written a Star Wars before, so you have that. But my takeaway from this, if you felt confident enough with how you left your main characters at the end of a movie that's about these characters, you wouldn't quickly shift to a scene that diminishes the end of those characters. Mm-hmm. They, I, 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 and I get the powerful, I, I get yeah. the the, the uh, powerful hype that Darth Vader brings, mm-hmm. and them transitioning into Episode Four. But there's a way to do that without leaving the emotional turmoil that you just let again, like Halo Reach, where you get kind of the tease at the beginning of Halo One, and you're like, "Holy shit, that's cool!" But now I'm so sad because of everything we just lost. Whereas I I feel like the the way that they quickly transitioned to this, it's just like, it's diminishing, and I think it doesn't respect the characters. Let me ask you this. Is there a world, do you think, where uh, data gets transmitted, stuff gets sent, we see most most of the crew, we see most of the crew die, we see that the Death Star's coming up, we see Vader, Mm -hmm. okay? We see the Death Star begin the laser. We see Vader go after the plans, lose the plans. Then we see Jin and Cassian. Do you think but that? Then how do we transition to Leia and say oh, you, it's We oh. don't. We <laughs> don't. Because we know she gets it. And I, and I, do, and I almost get from a marketing perspective what this does as well, where she's yeah. like, we got hope. And then even I remember first week we came out, the uh, first week it came out, the first time I watched it, I was like, Let's go home and watch episode four. Like, I get that that's what they're trying to do. But, again, even at the time when there was no streaming service where you could, like, get data and numbers of, like, let's get yeah. everybody to subscribe to our streaming service to all watch episode oh, four right tell, now. No, but can I tell you something about that last part? Because we're going to talk about CG Leia right now. But can I tell you about that last part? Go on. I know so many people, and there were tests. They did screen tests, and they did test audiences, and I've chatted with people who aren't big Star Wars fans. Mm-hmm. There are people that literally – understood what was going on the moment they saw Leia. There are people, because remember, this is a billion-dollar movie. There are people that kind of understood what was going on, and then when they saw Leia, they went, oh, Oh. this is right before the first one. And there were a lot of people that did that. And that, that ending with Leia is not just, you know, hey, this is cool because, like, Leia's fucking cool. Um, it's also cool because it did explain this to people. I, I think um, you, I think you could have done it still with the shot of the ship 
that they're on. Yeah. I think if you had recreated the same shot that you see of that ship for the first time in Episode 4, if you recreated that shot as they leave and escape Vader, I think you could have still done that without... I'll meet you in the middle. Mm-hmm. I'll even meet you in the middle on these. Because I do understand that there is a non-Star like Star Wars fanatical audience that this has to appeal to, even though I don't think Rogue One did. I think Rogue One was really for the Star Wars boys, and I don't see a lot of people that are just like, yeah, I see Star Wars movies when they're around, and my friends have seen Star Wars movies being like, hell yeah, Rogue One. But that's besides yeah. the point. I'll meet you in the middle, and I'm going to say, just don't have her turn around. Just yeah. don't show her face. Just don't show her face. Have her receive it, see the hood, see the edges of the buns sticking out a little bit, hear the voice, and have her okay, take the point. But Sage, what if we doubled down and <laughs> brought back C.G. Leia? For uh-huh. a little movie we like to call Rise, uh, Rise of Ray Skywalker. <laughs> just show me, just give me a close up on that mouth. Because that's, again, the part where they've gotten the weirdest, and I don't know what it is with that CG mouth. mouth do. But that <laughs> CG <laughs> mouth is doing some weird shit that I do not like, um, that I think was a little tough. I think if you just showed from the back, it would have been a lot more tasteful, especially given Carrie Fisher. I just think. Yes. But remember, we had not we had not lost Carrie. We hadn't yeah, lost Carrie Fisher but, yet, I, but I, even I, as respecting her as a living woman, that gave mm-hmm. like one of the most iconic she gave her characters. They had to give her. She had to give her permission. That's not what I'm saying. I'm yeah. saying respect to the character that she built and the person that oh, okay. she is. It's not about permissions. It's not about her estate, and it's not about her being living. It's mm-hmm. I don't think that that is respectful to the iconic character that she made. Someone else wrote it, but goddamn, is Carrie Fisher Leia? And I don't she wrote think a lot you respect of it. right. I don't think you respect her correctly uh, by showing a CGI version of her that doesn't adequately look like her to tie it in. I think just no, a little back and a little nod to it would have been more respectful. I, I feel the same way about it as I do about the Tarkin, which is like there, there's a more artful way to do it where it would have looked more natural and it could have been more natural. Um, but that, but that Lucasfilm bless, and bless their hearts, they wanted, they wanted to see if they could make a digital people. Yeah. I love it. To me, the, the Vader scene really – Vader scene on makes this movie so much better to me because to me this movie is about the promise of leading right into the beginning of A New Hope and I think that they do that so well with this. I wish they didn't hang on her as long as they do. I'm with Sage. Even not seeing her face I think would have went a long way. I like seeing her in general. Her lines about hope and all that. Even the line itself I don't think bad. I think it's her saying hope as if it means something and it's like a quotable line and like the camera lingering on us. Don't like that. But get, seeing Vader be actually scary and all that, I think, is great. Because it backs up to me, this movie is not about the characters. It is more about the plot. I think it succeeds in that plot. And I think the Vader stuff is super awesome of getting us from the Death Star, the plans of, okay, cool, the Rebels have the, the stuff now. They know what their mission is. And that's where we see A New Hope take can off. I, so antithetical to Star Wars there. I, like, that's so... This one's different. It's not different. I have joke that, but like Star Wars is about the characters. And once you start pushing pushing aside your own main characters, like what the fuck are you doing at that point? Like, it's can I can I do a thought experiment? One thought experiment here. What would we have thought? You know, Vader is introduced midway through the movie. He says, "Man, Krennic, don't make me clean up this mess. You better fucking fix your shit, buddy." Is there a version of this where? They were fa- like, they were facing Vader on Scarif, and he was a little more. He was a little more involved with that thing. Is that something that could have been cooler? I would or, hate that. Yeah, hate that? I don't. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't want Vader to kill them because I think that. I like. The, I like the way be... that they die. I just don't think it was yeah. built too well. Um, mm-hmm. I, I and I think the Vader scene 
could have worked somewhere in a re-edit where it's brought in beforehand. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. What, about what about a movie? What about a movie where it's two hours of Darth Vader telling you that he loves you and then he kisses you? In. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. I don't think it should have been Darth Vader on that because I think that a large portion of what the Empire does is have minions, right? Yeah. And have these, like, pillars of the Empire that uphold these, like, terrible genocidal standards for them that are normal freaking people. that are not the supervillain. These are just normal people creating terror, right? And I think that that's powerful and it's important. And I think that um, seeing Vader rarely do the dirty work of those things and make those exceptions for Luke makes those exceptions for Leia, right? Like those exceptions where he gets more involved or make it for Obi-Wan. Or a zip drive that just came from Scarif. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that zip drive is the plans to his his planet killers. That's true. That's true. You mean like, I'm going to go kill the people that did it? No, I'm going to go get that freaking thing because you guys are so incompetent it went this far. Okay, he sips in at the end because they have been so, they have failed on so many levels as the Empire up to this point. But I'm just going to go kill the kids who are fighting? Nah, that's not really his thing. He only wants to kill his kids. (laughs) That's true. That's true. So overall, Rogue One, everybody. Rogue One. Some people like it. Some people don't like it. So salad. It's Star totally. Wars. You know what I mean? I enjoy Star it. Star Wars through yeah. and through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not up at the – I wouldn't say that it's up at my top, top, top Star Wars things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do enjoy it. I think it's solid. I do think seeing more of these characters and learning more about them uh, would have benefited us. Uh, I would have loved to have seen if there was a three-hour cut. I would love to see more characters get these sort of prequel things. I think it's, I think it's tough to get Donnie Yen – I think it's real tough to get Donnie Yen, but I'd love to see a Cheer It and Bays series. Uh, you know what else I think is uh, tough? Getting Donnie Yen and not utilizing him enough. In my, uh, I, I did a whole Star Wars rewatch where I rewatched a bunch of movies, TV shows, yeah. comic books. Uh, and books. 11 of the 12 movies don't have Donnie Yen. It's severely it's underused. And I ranked everything just for my own personal enjoyment, and Rogue One is uh is pretty low. It's twenty out of twenty six pieces of media of Star Wars things that I that I went through as a whole. So right below In terms of enjoyment, I think that there's so many some of the most rewatchable scenes in this movie and I think as a movie overall, this is one I would rather rewatch over a lot. Of I have it above Rise of Skywalker, so I'll give it that. Sage Fair final enough. thoughts on Star Wars Rogue One. All Star Wars is fun, so all of my criticism throughout this is to compare it to the level that I love and appreciate Star Wars. I, it's a fun movie. It's an enjoyable movie, and there's a lot to love about it. And people who love it, it's so valid. I love that for you, truly. Um, I'm glad I enjoyed it more this time. I still had fun watching it. Uh, just Justice for characters is something that's always going to be important to me. So this movie's never going to be for me because I'll always prefer caring about these people. And I think that's what Star Wars is for me, for the rebellion, for the hope. The hope is these people. What else are we hoping for? We don't care about necessarily the planets. We probably should, but we don't. We care about the people fighting to do what's right in it. Um, so this one lands pretty low for me, but Star Wars is still cool. Fair enough. Let us know in the comments below what you think of Rogue One, where you would rank it in your overall Star Wars rankings, and Anything else you want to let me know? What did you have for lunch today? I want to see that. I want to see yeah. that in the comments on this. this did you have a good lunch? Today. Let me know. Let me know. I've been Sage. eating so many high chews. 
So what the hell, Carboni? Where can people find you? I got hit by a truck, and so people have been <laughs> sending me things, and somebody sent me a five-pound bag of high chews, and I've just been eating high chews. You can find me showing up at Anthony's apartment, begging him to stop eating high chews twice this week. Mm-hmm. Um... And you can also find me everywhere on the internet at Not Stage. I stream on my channel as well as Twitch.tv slash Pixel Circus, where Anthony and I host a show together called It's Too Early, where we do uh, gaming and pop culture news and honestly, just two besties shooting the shit. Uh, and there's a bunch of here. We do tabletop. We do D&D. It's fun. Check it out. Carboni, what about you? Yeah, I'm also there where Sage said, but in addition, I'm at A Carboni everywhere online except for on Twitch, where I'm at Anthony Carboni, Twitchy Cowards, it's mine, give it back to me. And... Uh, I have a science comedy podcast with Jeff Kanata called We Have Concerns, uh, where there are new episodes every Friday. So listen to that. It's good. Hell yes. Like I said earlier, next week we're going to be doing Werewolf by Night, returning to MCU in review. But until next time, may the Force be with you. Cameron motherfucking Kennedy absolutely killing it with every variation of that intro, but this one was easily the best. There's so much going on there. I'm going to need every single one of you out there to go back, watch that, and skim through it frame by frame, see all the Easter eggs, screen cap it, tweet at Cam Kennedy, of course. Let him know all of his hard work is with good fruits. And if you're wa- if you're listening somewhere, mm-hmm. god damn it, go watch that on YouTube. That was insane. Yeah, it was. It's actually insane. Of course, shout out to Carter Harrell for for doing the the Sam Raimi version of the music for us, which is fantastic. But uh, watching those things grow and get more and more multiversal week to week has been one of my favorite things about this here Spider Man rewatch. Now, welcoming us back to kind of funny's MCU in review. Of course, I'm Tim Geddes, joined by the big dog Kevin Coelho. Up. Kev, how excited are you to watch this movie with me for the third time tonight? I God, I'm so excited. Paula hasn't been on social media. She didn't get a chance to watch it on Tuesday. She didn't get a chance to watch it on Thursday. But God damn it, she's watching it today. Hell excited. yes. Of course, joining us as well is the producer slash seducer, Nick Scarpino. Kev, I saw two or three shots of me in that intro. Mm-hmm. And we'll just say they were less than flattering. One was me as the Green Goblin. One was yeah. me as the cat on all fours on the desk. Uh-huh. And, I, and I, just, I think I blanked on the other one. Cameron Kennedy, I got your number, bro. <laughs> okay. I got you your know, Nick, number. The thing is, he, Cameron Kennedy isn't necessarily making these things from his imagination. These are all yeah. things you've done yeah. to yourself. <laughs> so. Of course, that voice you hear is the one and only Nitro Rifle, Andy Cortez. Oh, my goodness. Spider-Man. Oh. Oh. Spider-Man. Oh. <laughs> now, here's the thing. Of course, joining us for our final piece of kind of funny content this year, making his return to MCU in review. The one, the only, Greg Miller. Hello, Timothy. How are you? I am fantastic. I can't wait to talk to all of you about this movie. I feel like this is the type of movie we're going to be talking about for years to come, but I can't wait to sit with you guys the next couple hours, get into all the nitty-gritty of our thoughts, and I can't wait 
to see where you guys rank them because this is kind of funnies in review where each and every week we get together to rank, review, and recap different movie franchises. Uh, this is the end of our revisit to Spider-Man with the new entry for MCU in review. But when we return in January, we have a whole bunch of fun. We're returning to some of our all-time favorite in review series. We got Hawkeye coming out. We're going to do the MCU in review for that. We got the Matrix Resurrections closing out the Matrix. We got Cobra Kai Season 4, Andy. Where are you at with that? Oh, my God. You keep on reminding me that it's on the way, and I keep forgetting, and I'm happy I have such a bad memory because a little spark of joy always just kind of, like, hits me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, Nick Scarpino, we have Scream 5. How excited are you for that? Very Jimmy. Oh, that was good. That was good. And, Kaz, this one's just for you. Great. No, 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 the mic. How dare you? That was great. That was great. Dude, hey, you have limped to the finish line here of the year. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Just rest up these next two weeks. I thought you were trying to do Will of the Fall. You were too many cocktails last night at the holiday party. Just for you, we're closing out January with Morbius. Sorry, man. You know what? I'm I'm done with the Morbius. I'm out of those reviews. Have yeah. fun. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you gotta love it. Will Kevin make his appearance? You'll have to find out next year here on YouTube.com slash kind of funny or roosterteeth.com. If you want to get it as a podcast, just search your favorite podcast service for kind of funny in review and we'll be right there for you. If you wanted to get the show ad free and if you want to watch live as we record it, you gotta go to patreon.com slash kind of funny, just like our Patreon producers, Molecule, Pranksy, and Greg Miller returns to content next month. Nick should quit now. Today, we're brought to you by MeUndies, Trade Coffee, Audible, and HBO Max. But we'll get to all that later. It's time to talk about Spider-Man No Way Home. Released on December 17th, 2021, making it the 32nd Marvel Studios project and the 27th movie in the MCU. With a runtime of two hours and 28 minutes, it is the longest Spider-Man movie and the fourth longest MCU movie. Um, Infinity War is one minute longer. Eternals is nine minutes longer. And Endgame is a little over a half hour longer. Uh, one minute shorter coming in at fifth place is Civil War. So a lot of the big ensemble movies, obviously, getting the, the kind of higher run times, it seems. This was once again directed by John Watts, uh, who directed Homecoming, Far From Home, and has signed on to do The Fantastic Four, which is very exciting. Uh, this film marks the first MCU trilogy to be directed by the same director, John Watts. All previous film franchises like Iron Man, Avengers, and Captain America had only two consistent directors throughout their respective trilogies. Uh, the music was done once again, Nick, by Michael Chikino. Woo! Word. And he, he did it. He fucking did it, everybody. All I've been saying is this MCU theme is good, but it's just missing the epicness. And, oh, they brought the epicness. So thank you for that, Michael. Thank you. You guys think we can get Michael on the show? I, I want to get him on yeah, the show because I want to congratulate him personally. For the, thing is, the thing is, I'm sure he's not busy at all. It's mm-hmm. not like he's one of the most, if not the most, highly demanded composers in the film industry right now. I'm sure he's got nothing. He's I'm sure he's got DJ like, junkie or whatever. All right, pump your brain. So. He's got over there going. He's not. Uh, the budget of $200 million. Uh, and the box office of, guys, this is some insanity. Obviously, the movie just came out, so we don't have up-to-date actual numbers. But what we do have here is that this movie 
is on pace for an opening weekend of 200 to 250 million dollars, which is insane. Throughout the day, that number has literally doubled. When I first made the run of show this morning, it was 100, and now we're talking two to 250, uh, making it potentially a top seven opening of all time which is really crazy. Um, Spider-Man No Way Home will be the first pandemic-era movie to cross $100 million in a single weekend. Only one other film, Sony's Venom, Let There Be Carnage, has come Venom. close, hitting a still impressive $90 million domestically. Um, and yeah, these numbers are just really crazy, and uh, it's easily blowing out everything we've seen. So already we're at $50 million for just the Thursday night previews. Um, for context there, Black Widows was $13 million. So... Quite a jump, quite a leap. Nick, do you think we can that. make a movie and bring in those numbers? Easily, easily. I think Your it's actually a lot movie, yeah, in the, yeah. In, the, in the line of it. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot easier than people think. Mm-hmm. Some fun stats for you here. This is the eighth appearance of John Favreau as Happy Hogan. Uh-huh. See, that's where the real money is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> make, make a movie, cast yourself in a role, and then just stop making them. You're in the, the forever as a guy. Or, or uh, Greg, it's the backup quarterback. It's sure. your backup quarterback of the NFL. Just ride, hey, the, ride the pine for a decade, and you're hauling in like $6 million a year. It's incredible. You don't you're do a damn thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you lose when you, they call you in, they're like, what do you want me to do? I've been a nice. I'm the backup. Shit. <laughs> I suck. So, uh, a fun thing about that, so eight appearances is a lot uh, in, in any franchise. But uh, specifically with this one, he, he has eight on-screen appearances. He has nine because there's a deleted scene in Infinity War. But besides that, he's not featured in that movie. And there is another ninth one because he is the voice of himself in What If. So he's, he's really up there uh, for appearances. There is very few people above them, the only ones being Steve Rogers at nine appearances, uh, Tony Stark at ten, and Nick Fury at ten as well. Uh, oh, and wow. Nick Fury will outpace Robert Downey Jr. because we already know he's going to be confirmed in Secret Invasion. So mm-hmm. I would have assumed Nick Fury had at least fifteen or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tom Holland. This is his sixth appearance as Spider-Man, uh, making him the most recurring Spider-Man we have ever had. And this is Benedict Cumberbatch's fifth time portraying Doctor Stephen Strange after Doctor Strange, Thor Ragnarok, Infinity War, and Endgame, and now this. Uh, he was also his voice in What If, so he's kind of racking them up. But what's interesting about him is that is the most appearances having only one movie so far with Doctor Strange in the title, <laughs> which is interesting. Andy right. Cortez from Kind of Funny. I continue to feel this way about old, old, Benny, old Benny Cumber. I continue to feel this way about him. I feel like he's he's kind of like an artist in my eyes. I feel like he's kind of on this upper echelon, and, and maybe because he's British, and it may be, be a lot of actors in the MCU are British, but like he kind of just, I feel like he's in a higher level in terms of the projects that he chooses, and I'm so, so happy. He was in like, he's in the, like, been in like Academy Award winning films. And, like, Robert Downey Jr. was in Weird Science. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, and because of that, I'm so glad that this, obviously, he's getting paid a lot. That's not like he's doing this You're not going to see Benedict Cumberbatch do snakes on a plane, too. No, exactly. Exactly. But I'm just really happy that this isn't above him. Or this isn't below him. Below him. Like, he still, he, it seems like he enjoys a fandom. Uh, Tim mentioned at the red carpet he was just a lovely dude, like, signing autographs. And I'm glad that this isn't one of those... We always hear about, like, the Scorsese's of the world and a lot of people sure. who are, like, these the big film people that are like, fuck these comic book bullshit. I'm glad 
Oh, Benny Cum Cum. <laughs> that's the thing, right? It's like if you're a working actor right now, you can't shit talk the MCU or superhero movies because that's what's happening. That's what's making money. And it's, yeah. that's what we're talking about. It's a golden ticket, obviously, in terms of the funds, but it's what keeps getting funded. It's usually, yeah, directors yeah. you see talk a lot of shit because they're all like, I went to fucking art school. And we're all like, we don't care. Give us jackass forever and a big old diet soda. <laughs> <laughs> diet soda. Why do I, I feel like that was a slight at me? You know, I don't drink diet soda. Yeah. <laughs> Greg Miller, I want to start with you making your return here to Kind of Funny. What did you think about Spider-Man No Way Home? What a fucking motion picture, Timothy Geddes. Uh, you know... It was definitely one of those movies, the build-up to, I couldn't stop myself. You know, I know we're in the spoiler-free section of the show, if we're still doing that here. Uh, and, you know, at one point, there's a big moment that happens, and Andy popped next to me. And he leaned over to me, he's like, did you already know? And I'm like, yes. Like, I have been the guy for this movie that I was like, I was at the, I did the opposite of what I did with Ghostbusters, where I did my best not to look at latest trailers and all that stuff. This was the thing. If I woke up and people, there was a hashtag trending, I clicked on it. I wanted to know, just show me. I needed it all. And so that, of course, dampens your excitement to some regard, because, like, I know cool shit's about to happen, but is it going to happen in the way I want it to? Where is it going to go? This movie for me was multiple movies, the first being this great, fun teen movie, I felt like, of this, like, the adventure kind of thing, that after we got through the stuff we had seen in trailers, I was like, oh, I didn't expect it going this way. This is a cool way for it to go. That's nice. Something happens, and then we're into a very serious movie, then there's an ending that I need to talk about for what Spider-Man has always been to me, both positive and negatively, right? This movie was funny. It made me cry multiple times. I thought it was strangely cathartic. It was cathartic to see a lot of threads tied up that I wasn't expecting to, and then it leaves me ready to talk for hours about where Spider-Man and the MCU go from here and the decisions they've made with the character and where we're at in the universe. And again, both positive and negative ways in the way I have always felt about Spider-Man. I think it's so funny that, you know, of course, this is a mashup in the crossover of Spider-Man interview, Spider-Man re-review, uh, MCU interview. Welcome to the Spider-Boys, Greg. I know, thank you. I, I was very sad yesterday when you guys took the Spider-Boys photo. I'm like, I can't be in it. I did it in your anguish. Uh, thank you very much, Tim. All right, Nick. Uh, it was one of those that I came home, and Jen, of course, wanted to know about – Jen obviously stayed home with our child and <laughs> didn't want to, you know, to leave him home alone, get a babysitter, deal with the COVID and everything else. So I just went on this mission on my own. And so talking to her about it, I was like, man, this is going to be fascinating for you to watch because we obviously love MCU. She's watched every MCU movie multiple times with me, you know, wakes up every uh, Wednesday ready to go and excited to watch whatever MCU show we're getting. But I was like, this is such a Spider-Man movie. That I wonder, and I'm like, you didn't, like, you, you know, I, I, you, we've watched them a few, once or here a little bit, like, it, this is such a weird crossover, pivot, you know, intersection point of Spider-Man and MCU, and they do so much, and they do it so well, and it's cheesy and heartbreaking and lovely and amazing, and it's just, I loved it. Nick Sarpino. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to echo all those sentiments. I really, really enjoyed this film. I think it is probably the biggest, hottest mess of any MCU film that I've ever seen, um, but it all somehow works, and I think it's a lot of fan service, uh, no, no spoilers yet, but there's just a lot of things in there thrown in there for fans of, of obviously, the Raimi and the, um, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man series that I think, um, in, in, in the hands of lesser creators, would have come off just horribly, um, but it works in this, and, and, and um, there were a lot of moments in this that, that were really, really impactful for me that I was not expecting. I did not get anything spoiled for me other than the obvious of, like, seeing, seeing you know, Doc Ock and uh, uh, 
some of the villains in the trailer. Um, but a lot of the things they did, they were able to do, and they felt new, even though we were kind of treading on uh, some already worn ground. Um, and that's the magic of, I think, the MCU, is they gave us they gave us exactly what we wanted, only a little bit different, and it worked. And it's surprising to me that people are saying this movie, or the runtime of this movie is long, because it felt like it was, a, it felt it. brisk to me. Um, and just shout out to the the main the lead in these character in, in the movie like Tom Holland and Zendaya and, and uh, the I Jacob, Jacob, Jacob but, yeah uh, they're great and man Tom Holland really 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 has the stuff man he really really does uh, I I this is one of the very few Marvel movies that I'm like I'm considering reseeing in theaters Wow Andy Cortez loved it I. I don't think it's without its faults. I do think it's uh, messy in some parts, but they had a lot. I think your tweet kind of summed it up really well, Tim, of like this movie had a lot of baggage to try to clean up and try to make neat. And uh, I I just, I loved it all the way through. Um, Whether it's the beginning portions of it where it's mostly um, the sort of the main cast that we're used to and kind of the culmination of everything near the end I I cried multiple times, whether it's from just hype and just excitedness or excitement or just really dark, sad shit happening. <laughs> uh, this movie is incredible. I can't wait to watch it again uh, when I go back home for Christmas. This is one of those really special moments in, like, Hollywood movie history. And I, it, it's it's incredible that it not only happened, and it's even more incredible that the movie – was as good and as enjoyable as it was. Kevin, you've now seen it twice. Where you at? Oh, man. Walking out of this movie was like, the damn, there was so much that I was feeling, and I'm like, seeing it a second time, it's going to hit me not nearly as hard, and I'm going to be able to, like, kind of be able to think about it clearer. And while I have way more clarity, it also, watching it a second time, man, it hit way harder. Knowing what we were building to really, like, allowed me to enjoy it more and felt a lot deeper. Uh, this movie is, honestly, it's, I, I, I was scared going into this movie because I was worried. This is a very ambitious thing. Spider-Man's known for him, like, being too ambitious in the past and um, the rumors and stuff that we had heard. Um, somehow, you know, they... Somehow they figured out how deli- how to deliver like one of the most satisfi- satisfying stories that like connects to other things that that I didn't know I wanted closure on, and um, it's funny, it's dramatic and sad. Like I, I'm for even for the the high caliber that the MCU is at, I'm still blown away with that they were able to do something so, like, magical. Like, I was so fully invested in so many different characters. Like, it turns out you can do it. You can have a bunch of characters, give them growth and closure um, if the team is correct and it's it's thoroughly, like, like everything is, is taken to where it needs to be. And I'm just literally blown away. Watching it the second time, I was like, all right, I'll be able to, like see more things than I did, but, like, it was not nearly as much as I thought I could, because, like, I was so enraptured. Like, one of the things I said in the spoiler-free podcast that we did is that I was going to listen to the music more, 
and I didn't get a chance to do that because I was still so <laughs> much to, to look at and to take in. It, it, I'm blown away. Timothy Geddes, your second time seeing it. Your third time will be tonight. What did you think of it? This this film is an achievement, and I feel like the, the, it was either going to be that or fail at being that, and I think mm-hmm. it demonstrably is an achievement on the level of Endgame. This is Spider-Man Endgame um, in, in every single way. Uh, I think that the, the key difference, though, is that what this is the Endgame to is 20 years of superhero movies. It isn't just the oh, Spider-Man villains are in it. It's also um, going back to the Statue of Liberty like we saw in the trailer, like that being the end of X-Men 1, like all of these like kind of – the, the subliminal memories that we all have of, of these movies over the last 20 plus years, right? Like it leading to this, especially with the character as beloved as Spider-Man. And there's so many people that love Spider-Man for different reasons. And I think this movie delivers a little bit of all of that to each and every one of us in, in uh, ridiculous amount of ways in spades. Um, watching it the second time, I'm right there with Kev where I was overwhelmed the first time uh, with emotion, with with in, interest in looking at every single part of the frame, with listening to music, like finding the callbacks, finding all the stuff, looking for Easter eggs. Watching it the second time, it really blew my mind at how well this stands as a movie. It isn't just fan service. Fan service is it's 10 out of 10. I honestly don't think a movie's ever done fan service better than this. Um, I do think it is as good at as Endgame, if not better. Um, I would say it's better, actually, than, than Endgame. And and that is that is impressive. They both are 10s, but I, I, I prefer what we got in this. But I do think that the plot works. And I feel like so much of the fan service is in service of a plot that works not only as a movie beginning to end watching this, but as a even more as an end cap to this trilogy. This is easily the best story told over a trilogy of movies that we've had in the, the MCU so far. Definitely the best one we've seen in a Spider-Man uh, movie so far. And I just think that they, they did what they had to do. And every single thing I look for from an MCU movie, whether it's callbacks to other things, whether it's it being a good standalone movie, whether it's a supporting cast, villains, Setting up the future post-credit scenes, to me, this movie just delivered all of those things at, and in a way that I never could have thought to even ask for because I thought it was too tall of an order to be able to achieve what they did. But they really did it, and I can't wait to talk about spoilers with you boys. So having said that, it's spoiler time, everybody. Leave. If you do not want to be spoiled, and Greg, I want to start with you. Man, you fucking <laughs> kidding me. Are you fucking kidding me, right? Like... So what I was talking – there's, like, multiple points, and I know we're going to talk about this when we do the plot or whatever. But, like, again, I had binged so much stuff. And, I mean, that meant that I knew Matt Murdock was in it. I'd already seen the shots that had leaked of uh, Toby and Andrew. Like, I knew they were going to be – you know, knew, we all knew, right, but that moment of seeing them in suit and stuff like that, mm-hmm. none of it mattered. Because the Matt thing was so fucking amazing, and I loved him catching the brick. And then – and this is the whole thing where, like, I was getting into what is this movie going to be, what is this movie going to be. And that first part where I was like, oh, this is fun, actually. This is taking all these different Spider-Man villains and putting them into a Tom Holland Spider-Man movie that's always, like, you know, having fun and be like, you get serious or whatever, but it's him and it's Ned and it's MJ and they are going to set things right and this is going to be a fun little romp and we're going to go do that. And then when fucking Aunt May lets Green Goblin off the hook, that's when I was like, oh, fuck. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we all know how bad Goblin is in Spider-Man in general, let alone in this moment. So when he fucking hits her with the glider and she went down, I was like, she's dead. And then she she popped up, and that's when I gasped. When yeah. I, and it wasn't that I gasped like she's still alive. I was like, oh, this they're going to fucking tear out our yeah. hearts. Yeah, They're going to tear out our fucking hearts. And it's the same thing, right, where when he starts talking to her, 
I'm just waiting for her to collapse, waiting for her to collapse. And then it was also the thing of, like, obviously, again, I couldn't stop myself. So I, I had seen that article of, like, Tom Holland says that an iconic Spider-Man line is going to be in this movie. And I was like, it's either great power or it's going to be go get him, Tiger. And I'm like, it could be both. It could be both. You know what I mean? And so I'm like, oh, my God, they're making her bend. They're yeah. doing this thing. Oh, my fucking God. And they do it and they crush it. And I was like, oh, and that's when the movie obviously goes so dark. But, like. Even when it was fun, sorry, when they went to Happy Thing and all the villains walked by the security camera, that's when, like, I went from trying to figure out what this movie was to just grinning like an idiot. And then they break my heart. And then it's like, all right, cool. As soon as that happens, here are the other Spider-Man. And then it is, like, let's get them, all, like, in such fun lines of, not even fun sometimes, dot lines of dialogue, let's catch up and show the bond. And, like, this movie does so much. And so, like, very much, like, when we get to plot recap, you all have to help me. It's very much a Ghostbusters afterlife situation where I was sitting there just feasting my eyes and not trying mm-hmm. to think of how I'm going to plot it all out. Like, watching all three Spider-Men talk to each other was just the fucking best. And that's where I'm like, this is such a Spider-Man movie. This, that's where it's not MCU anymore. It is very much a payoff, like you're saying, to 20 years of Spider-Man movies we've all watched, loved, made fun of, lived on. You know what I mean? But, like, the fucking conversations up there, right? Where they and they and, and like you nailed it, Tim. When you're like, they give you the fan service you wanted. There were so many things I said building up to this, whether it was to you, Tim, to Jen, to whoever. Of like, oh man, I I hope that they get to say great power, great arsenals to each other. I hope they talk about Uncle Ben. I hope that you know they make fun of his organic web shooters. I hope, I hope, and they did all of that shit to get to the fucking Statue of Liberty and have them not be a team. Then the uh, oh, it would be cool if he talks about the Avengers. Talk about the Avengers and what are that? Well, what's the, you're like, oh my, and then they all run and they jump, woo, and they're all fucking doing their thing. And then again, like, it was the most telegraph shit of like in the trailer, uh, MJ falling and everybody being like, oh, well, of course, this is where Andrew Garfield's gonna swing in, grab her, have his redemption moment. You knew that was gonna happen, but I didn't know that he would still be so fucked up about it. Yeah. I didn't know that they would give me a line of dialogue of him being like, no, no, uh, no time for Peter Parker stuff. I kind of went off the deep end and got really violent. And, like, I've been this, uh, in a dark place. And so to have him do it, fucking land, do everything. Like, we, the audience cheered. He drops. He does it. Are you okay, MJ? Yeah. And then her moment of, are you? And it was like, oh, my God, just fucking con. You know what I mean? Of, like, again, a – Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 2, whatever you thought, and like, oh my god, all the eel jokes, whatever you thought of it, right, like, it was part of that, and obviously you, we know what Peter Parker in general carries with the weight of Gwen Stacy, but to see that and get that thread, get that closure, get that thing, get that moment, have these things that, like, you know, we never got to see, you know, again, the, the leaked Sony emails that they wanted it to be Andrew uh, Garfield in the MCU, but it just didn't work out, right? Uh, as bad as Spider-Man 3 was with Tobey Maguire that you never got Spider-Man 4, to get this moment that, like, I would have never thought we would have seen and to have them fucking crush it and do it, let alone then to get to an ending that is both so Spider-Man and then so also the thing that has turned me off to Spider-Man comics that I've talked about before, the Clone Saga, uh, Brand New Day, stuff that I think are crazy decisions. They make a crazy fucking decision at the end of this that I find so heartbreaking and not in a way of like I'm, I'm let down by the films, so heartbreaking for Peter to carry and go, but that's what Spider-Man is and who they've made. And there's so much to talk about in this movie. I'm sorry to eat up all the oxygen, but that, that whoo, Tim, whoo, Tim, whoo, Andy Cortez, where you at? Oh, yeah. I mean, shit. Fucking. <laughs> like, Andrew Garfield and Willem Dafoe are just the stars of this movie for me. Like, uh, apart from all the other, just from Tom Holland being such an incredible actor. And I loved, uh, I loved Zendaya in this movie. Um, I loved Jacob Babylon in this movie. 
I liked seeing their I liked seeing their character growth. I liked seeing um even at the end, even though it is heartbreaking, um, knowing that Tom Holland and that and this Peter Parker this sort of sets the the ground uh, or sets the tone for what the rest of Tom Holland's Spider-Man and Spider-Verse will be. Um, I, I, I don't know, man. It, it was incredible. I, I'm kind of at a loss for words. Um, I thought Matt Murdock was – that was such a surprise for me. I did not have that spoiled for me, and I, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I think they played it so perfectly with how uh, – we scroll. I scroll TikTok all the time. I've seen all these interviews with uh, Andrew Garfield and him having to deny everything. And, like, look how much he's lying about it. He's like, well, you guys are going to be really disappointed. Sorry, I'm not in the movie. I'm so sorry. Like, and then, but Matt Murdock was on the opposite end of the spectrum where he's like, please put me in. Please let me be Daredevil. <laughs> and they played that so perfectly because, like, I just didn't expect to see him in this movie. And so that was really, really damn cool when that did happen. Um I'm really happy that um, I, 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 I was feeling different ways that Greg was feeling during the Aunt May scene. When she gets hit, I go, oh, shit, she's dead. And when she gets up, I'm like, fucking Marvel, commit, dude. You can't <laughs> let her live here, like, after you do that. And, and the explosion happened as well. You got to commit to killing her. I can't believe you're not committing to this. But the scene kept on going, the scene kept on going, and you started seeing... I just thought she was shell-shocked. I thought she was just kind of, like, really fucked up, but it kept going long enough to where I was like, oh, no, here it comes. And it 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 just it destroys you. And um, I thought that scene was incredible. There was some messy stuff where I didn't love Alfred Molina's coming back, uh, His that redemption moment of him... Uh, pulling away the arc reactor from Jamie Foxx's chest. It just, that didn't work for me the way I wanted it to. Um, uh, and I, I, I kind of wanted to feel more hype about that. But, goddamn, seeing Tobey Maguire and Alfred Molina interact was so heartwarming and just Peter adorable. Man, you've grown up. I was like, oh, oh goddamn. <laughs> uh, and this movie just like, it, this movie made me uh, teary eyed multiple times. Like the open, ugly, open mouth crying like I did during Endgame. Um, especially near the end when they finally do kind of let's sync up our spider senses um, and we all swing out and it is every frame of painting sort of shit where it's all them flying through the air and they're whipping off each other. God damn, this movie just delivered on so many uh, different areas that I was hoping it would and just I just had a lot of doubts because this is just it's a tall task. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, by the end of this, like, I, I got to see this again. Okay. Man, how good was it when they're running out and they they all start webbing and they're all timed in and then they web each other to like propel? Oh my god! Like what a moment to see these three guys just move around. That we all have so much history with, you know? Like damn, how could how could they do this? Of like, give us closure of their story. A little weird with the the Sam Raimi Spider Man being like, oh, it's complicated. It's like been twenty years, guy. Like, how have you guys not sorted out you you and um, MJ? Uh, yeah, like, I, yeah, if we're jumping into that right there, that was the part I definitely didn't like. Because what I didn't like about it was the immediate follow-up of, it's complicated, blah, blah, blah. And then me and MJ make it work. I was like, wait, what? So yeah. what, like, well, so what does that even mean? Is he like... I my draw my draw from that, if I may, was that he they had broken up and got back together, and she got she was almost married to someone else, and yada yada yada. But then he was like, so he's talking about it, it. It was complicated. I think it was it okay. was complicated, but we made it work. 
in that over the next two or the I lost three that narrative ago. thread. Then I was like, Wait, it wasn't. It was kind yeah. of poorly written that that line. He should have just said, you know, it's really complicated. But over the years, me and MJ have been able we to sort it out. Yeah. yeah, we sorted it out. Okay, thanks. Uh, I, I mean, it's just this this movie is so good. Like I, all the action's amazing. Like the the Ned and, and like his relationship with Magic and like there's that so much awesome. comedy sp- sprinkled in. Like it's insane that they have dramatic moments. Where people are like the um, what's his face catches her. Uh, sorry, uh, Spider Man. Huh? Garfield. Yeah, Garfield. Thank you. Garfield Spider-Man catches Peter, her. Peter three. Yeah, P- Peter three. That's right. Catches her. We have that very very somber beat that, frankly, is beautifully acted. Like mm-hmm. he nailed that that emotion for Andrew for that Garfield moment. Like it. you you can feel it. And then what? It immediately cuts to uh, Ned. Getting caught or like falling and then getting caught by uh, uh, Doctor Strange's cape and it's just like that is it was hilarious like the 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 room went from silent taking in that moment to like full blown laughter and like being able to juggle that is to me like insanely incredible um, yeah this, this movie is so good spoiler wise what do you want to talk about Nick um, just the the idea that a lot of this movie a hundred percent like. There's a lot of this movie that should have been left on the cutting room floor, and I'm glad it wasn't. Uh, and, and, and in other movies, if I'd have seen a lot of these scenes of the improv, I'd have been like, oh, my God, they should have cut this out. And some of the stuff went a little long, and a lot of it was very indulgent. It was a lot of fanfare, right? But I'm very glad it, I'm very glad they left it in because it was a fitting farewell to Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man and – and and to Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, it was kind of the the resolutions that they deserved. I was shocked that they gave they were a, able to actually have a fitting arc for Andrew Garfield's character in there because we really did leave him in a dark place. Um, and I remember wa- I walked out of the theater thinking, hey, Sony's Sony makes interesting decisions with their Spider-Man properties. Why not make a third Andrew Garfield film? Right? I watched it. it. We talked You'll about that it. after the end of uh, our in review for Amazing Spider-Man Two. I was like, I like him as this. I think he should get one more crack at it. And now that he's got it, I'm like kind of thirsting for more. Um, but the thing that was really, really impactful for me, and I think the, the, the thing that makes this film so special and one of the reasons why it works is is that that that, that moment with Aunt May and the fact that they decided to make her the Uncle Ben character, I did not see coming. It came out of left field for me, and I thought, I was, I, I thought to myself, what an inspired and heartbreaking choice that they made. Um, it was absolutely the right one. It was, it was incredibly impactful, and she was able to deliver the famous line but it had a slightly different meaning this time, which I think is is a perfect um, – it's kind of a perfect illustration and example of what the MCU Spider-Man is compared to the other ones, right? It's that there's just – there was kind of more weight behind it because he's already made the choice to be a hero, and he wants to be a good hero. But what she's telling him is sometimes that means you have to really sacrifice, and it's going to suck. And you have to – like what makes you a real hero is even even facing those sacrifices and all that trauma, you keep going. And that gets echoed again when, they, when in that one little line where it, it's cheesy as hell, but they're like, let's go kick some ass. And then Tobey Maguire is like, no, let's go save some ass. And it's so cheesy, but that is the that is sort of the theme of this movie is like, and it's echoed. And again, the, the last cure that ass. Little, little, <laughs> cure that ass. I was not say that ass. Cure that ass. Um, but the, and then there was also the the moment where he's kind of standing over her tombstone and it says like I, I forget what the phrase was I tried to remember it but then there was a when you help one you help when you help, help someone you help everyone everyone yeah and that's that's what it's all about and her her telling him that hits so much harder than any of the other Uncle Bens just because a you know 
we've been with Marissa Tomei now for a few movies, so we weren't seeing this coming. And B, they've actually they actually managed to set up her character a little bit more in a way that I think is helped back it up, right? We've seen her in the prior movie. She was doing that thing for the charity, right? And she's she's worked with these things before, so there's a little bit more set up there, as opposed to like, for instance, like, and this is just an example, Greg. I'm not pulling this, you know, just in, in no particular go. order. Here we go. Here we go. Um, Here we go. Ghostbusters too, where they're like, we just need somebody working in a museum. Let's just have Sigourney Weaver working in a museum, right? And it totally felt like it was completely unsupported. Whereas in this, you're like, it's believable that Aunt May's character like works with these charities and with uh, with homeless people and people who are like you know, down their luck and stuff like that. And that really, really helped. And you see, I just, I love that moment where she's like, you have to help him. And he's like, I should have, he turns to her, he's like, I should have, I should have listened to Dr. Strange. I should have killed him. And she goes, no, like you did the right thing. Yeah. Even though she knows she's about to die. That was, yeah. that was perfect. That was just a perfect, perfect moment. And Tom Holland right afterward, his performance is just so gut-wrenchingly good. Mm-hmm. So good in that moment. Tim, quick question for you, just while we're here, uh, getting into the weeds of Spider-Man fandom. Uh, when you help someone, you help everyone. I remember being a big part of Spider-Man PS4. Did mm-hmm. they give that to May, or was that something I don't remember from comic book before? I, I don't know. I mean, a lot of those type of lines are always uh, vaguely attributed, even to begin with. Like, like I don't have that specific line, but even with the great power, great responsibility, uh, I want to read this to you guys because it's kind of interesting. Uh, the often quoted phrase, great power because great responsibility, is widely attributed to Uncle Ben uh, in the comics, but it first appeared in Amazing Fantasy 15, the first appearance right. of Spider-Man, uh, in which it's not spoken by any character. Instead, it's it appears right? in a narrative caption at the comic's last panel. Um, and the quote is actually what she says in this one, which is, That's with awesome. great power, there must also come uh, great responsibility. But it, what, what's interesting is the line almost kind of got a Mandela affected where it really didn't rise to prominence until the 2002 Sam Raimi movie, mm-hmm. uh, which makes sense, right? Because that really was the mainstream uh, boom of Spider-Man as a, a character. But uh, the first time Ben ever said it was in uh, 1972. But even then, it was like a, a flashback thing. It wasn't until, like, even in comics, until 1987 that he first actually said it, which is really crazy. Um, but, yeah, those those things are always the the kind of, like, how many different ways can we phrase this thing? But I love that in this one, they, they, they did it. They stuck to the, the originals. And to have Toby kind of finish the line in that scene was, like, incredibly powerful. Yeah, totally. And then, yeah. and then have them go. Hey, how do you how do you know that? And then Garfield be like, Uncle Ben said it. And then Toby the night he died. Like that was so fucking cool to you know have them all do that. Yeah. Love the fucking conversation of like who's your weirdest villain? <laughs> God, it. it was fucking awesome. Russian guy in a mech rhino. I'm lame. I just I, Russian guy in a rhinoceros. I, I do kind of <laughs> wish at that moment we got a little bit more hints of them like having more like you know greater lives That's than what we've seen. Because yeah. they talk about it. Sorry, go ahead. Please. No, I was just saying, it did feel a little soft for, for them just to reference the stuff that we've already seen. Kind of yeah, funny. I had that conversation with Tim when it, afterwards. of Like, when it happened, I was, like, all of a sudden, like, leaning in, like, are you about to talk about your adventures you had, or in the, but to come back and keep it to what you've done before? I hear you, but I think then it gets even more confusing of, like, you know, what's been going on, or how are you going to do that, and how much cool shit's happened off camera. I, I'm the biggest sucker for that type of stuff. Like, I love that type of lore and world building and Easter eggy type shit. But I think that with what this movie accomplished and did, I think it was key that they didn't do it because, guys, for months I've been saying the success of this movie in my mind is really riding on are these actually the characters from the movies that we knew? And they can they make that work? And they, they were and they did. And I think that because of that, 
adding more stuff than we knew, I think could have like messed that up potentially. And I think that because they kept it straight and kept it literally to the canon that we know, it allowed the moments to hit harder of Andrew Garfield. Like him, him just saying like, I stopped blowing my punches. We start filling that in. And I, I think that's a, a better headcanon type thing than if they had started like name dropping more Easter eggs. But, and it also, I think strengthens each of the Peters in different ways. Like having Tom Holland be, a leader because he's been in the Avengers like, is such a strength of MCU Peter Parker. And I think that they really did a good job of having closing moments for all these characters to Nick's point about Aunt May. Like this is the most fleshed out Aunt May we've ever had easily. And she had not just a character in this uh, movie, but like a, a purpose to the main plot itself. And like the great power, great responsibility isn't just like a nice thing. Someone's saying when they're dying, that kind of like motivates you to be a better person. It's like the core central thing to the plot of this movie of Tom Holland trying to rehab some of the worst villains we've ever seen. Right. And I, I think mm-hmm. that they did a good job balancing all that stuff. Like that is what I'm most impressed with. I think some of the villains, like the worst parts of this movie are how over thinky I get about this stuff where I'm like, that's not how uh, Osborne ever acted. Like it's not how this, that's not that. That's not this movie's fault. This movie did the damn best thing it can. I think that it made a, a very bold choice to just be like, we're going to tell a really good story and yeah. commit to that. And it allows moments like, I know, I think three of us have already brought up in the spoiler conversation, Garfield saving uh, Michelle yeah. and having that, that look on him crying. I don't think it can be understated how powerful of a moment that is and how earned of a moment that was. That, that to me, is a perfect example of where this movie is fan service meets plot because it was earned. They set it up with his character earlier and in the movies before that we had all just rewatched for the upteenth time. But I am so impressed with how they made the um, the trio organic, their conversations and hitting the fan service moments. didn't feel like we're watching um, characters kind of just act like memes. It felt like they were acting like the characters we knew and they would be freaked out by Tobey Maguire's organic stuff. And that could have been written in a way that was like cringy and bad. And it wasn't, it felt authentic to me. I love this movie's focus on science and math. I, I think the uh, Dr. Strange fight is not going to be talked about enough because there's so much dope shit in this movie. But the last thing I want to say, cause I know we're going along in the spoiler bit here, but the pacing of this movie, and we've all alluded to it in different ways. It's just impeccable. We're just there for the whole ride. It does not feel as long as it is. Um, I, I saw the movie once. The second time, I allowed myself to go to the bathroom, and it wasn't a good moment to go to the bathroom. Like, I knew what was coming, and I'm like, I don't even want to miss this line of dialogue. I love that my favorite parts of this movie are not the action scenes. It's the talking, because there's a lot of talking, and it's really, really, really satisfying talking. So shout out to all of you. You did fucking good. Yeah. I also just want to, I mean, like, one of the biggest achievements of this movie is not only that it managed to take what could have been a gigantic mess and I think make sense of it in a very satisfying way, but also, like, MCU is just so good at this, and Kevin Feige and the team are so incredible at this that this is all leading into future stuff, too. Like, this isn't just some random kind of multiverse plot beat. Like, it's all tying into everything else, and to have it make sense in a way that feels um in a way that feels satisfying it's just kind of wild to me that it's like tim when you mentioned like hey it's not it's not their it's not the their fault the the other movies had a lot of problems with their writing with their character development and part of me goes well then just don't make a multiverse movie (laughs) but then like but they did it anyway, and it's fucking great. Oh, and also, it's leading into, I mean, the post-credit scene of Multiverse of Madness, getting a trailer there and getting a lot of scenes from Multiverse of Madness. Uh, Kevin? Sorry, like, 
now you bring up that, let me, you can keep going. I'll I'll talk about the oh, okay. Scenes after. Um, and then uh, no, I mean I was just I was just mentioning like how incredible it is that like to do this really difficult multiverse movie to tie up a lot of loose ends to bring in a lot of messes from earlier past movies and having it feel good here because the team at Marvel just know what the hell they're doing is just such an achievement for me. Yeah, let's contrast that, right? Like, you have wait, two... Go ahead, Kevin. Wait, real quick. Just uh, the post credit scene. Like, the only thing that I didn't like about the movie it was the post credit scenes. Uh, obviously, like, the first... The first, the mid credit scene... Like, get get all of the symbiote back to where it fucking belongs. We don't want it in this universe. We don't need it. We need it. Right? The, the second one, I don't like that it was a trailer. I Like, it was cool to watch for the first time on a big screen... But like I try to stay away as trailers, uh, uh, with uh, stay away from trailers as much as possible. And I kind of felt like we were robbed of a little fun moment, especially with the tone of the the end of the movie being so serious. I was hoping we'd get like Hannibal Burrs on a QAnon like website, <laughs> yeah. you know, talking shit funny. about Spider Man. I thought that, like something like that is such a fun thing that they always put. And it was kind of bummer to see a trailer that I probably have to watch for work at some point, you know. Instead, yeah. I thought we were going to get a little a taste of Gwen Stacy or something like that, like a, a little tease of like something to come for some, a little glimmer of hope for him later. But we see that have been my there is two my hope. Uh, first off, I don't mind the trailer, but I can get to that later. In terms of like what I was, I thought if you would have asked me during the movie and then like during the after mid credits, what I thought the end credits was going to be, I was thinking that yeah, we would get Garfield going back to his universe and bumping into his MJ. Yeah, and I always something forget like it. That that she cool. was cast. She's the woman from. The Shailen HBO show Woodley, I like. Shailen Woodley, something like that, right? Sure, I don't know her name. She she was Ziggy's mom on the Shailen Shailen Woodley. Woodley. show on. All right, cool, I know that. We're not worried about the name anymore. It's a show I'm thinking of. Big Little Lies. Yeah, Big Little thank Lies. you. Right, Little Big I Lies. wanted them to bump in and like him, like yeah, open his heart up, kind of thing. I thought that's yeah. what would happen. Doesn't matter. Um, and then yeah, you know when the rift started opening, I know I told all you guys like when the purple rift started opening, people started coming through. I was like, I was hopeful that we were going to get one more crazy thing. I was hoping it was going to be Emma Stone as uh, Spider-Gwen. I was hoping she'd drop down and do something nutsy. And I know it's nuts, but I want it. Anyway, the trailer at the end I liked because I felt like this was such a big event movie. So much crazy shit's happening. And again, you get to the end of it, and I think there are so many questions about what the multiverse is, what the fuck just happened, what's going on. And I think, obviously, Marvel probably had a deal with Sony to get this at the end of it because if you're not on Disney Plus, you're not watching those shows. You're not aware of what's going on with Wanda. You're not aware of Loki. You're not aware of you know, all this shit. Like you put that in there, you, you you for a lot of people, this is their first experience for a multiverse in anything going on. Yeah. What was the first Sorry. thing they showed in the rip and tear of the universe? The second one was Rhino. What was the first? Well, one? the first one was Rhino, Scorpion, and then I didn't see who the third and there might have been a fourth person. Which no, they showed Scorpion. something before that though. I know, I know what Andy's oh, talking about. Oh, the big like the big dude with the almost, staff or whatever. Yeah, it was. yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know if I saw a staff. That would be really I cool. I saw a staff. I saw it staff. looked like so confused. You would imagine you guys popped, living... I was like, what? It was a lot. Yeah, me too, Greg. A lot of people in the theater went like, ooh, and I was like, I don't know what that is. And the second one, I saw, yeah. I saw it, Rhino in there, and um, so I was confused with the first yeah. thing. Was. Live chat saying it was Scorpion, Rhino, Craven, and Black Cat. Right. So that was the. So there were three. Because then we see Rhino even clearer. Um, after oh, that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the first guy definitely had, um, you know, uh, what are the, 
the giant guys from space that we saw. In oh, the looks about the Oh, they said that was Craven. They're saying that was Craven. Oh, that was Craven. No, he he definitely like he didn't have human proportions. Like his torso was way too small, and he was also massive when compared to the other ones that we see. We'll have to stay tuned we'll tonight, Kev, to, to find out. I want yeah. to speak up the post credits real quick. I absolutely loved both of them. I think the Venom one is best case scenario where after Let There Be Carnage, we were so bummed that they were doing this. I'm so happy he wasn't in this movie. It would have overcrowded it. I think that would have caused problems. Them playing it as a joke and then Kevin Feige clearly being like, we don't want this shit. This is not going to happen. I think it's great. I love leaving a little bit of the symbiote that gives it a uh, origin story that we don't need to really deal with. It's fine. It came from another universe. That's that's all they need to get into. I'd even be fine if eventually Eddie Brock is in the MCU and it is Tom Hardy, just a variant, not the version mm-hmm. we saw there. I'm really excited about the potential of what this could be, especially with where we leave off with Tom Holland in the darkest place he's ever been. He is all alone, and it is not a tech suit. It is just a classic Spidey suit. Adding so that cool. with the symbiote. That, to me, has a lot of potential that I'm really excited for. Mm-hmm. And the Doctor Strange trailer, I absolutely loved. I cannot believe we got as much as we did. I would much prefer this over just getting uh, one little scene, because we essentially got that. The scene of him walking up to Wanda uh, at, at the, the little farmhouse-looking thing, like, that could have just been the post credit scene. But I'm happy we got so much more around it, so much more hype, seeing the um, Strange from What If at the end of it. It's like there is so much to theorize and think about. And the Doctor Strange will return is so epic. Um, I am not going to be surprised if they release this trailer in a couple of weeks, but I also think that there's a chance that the trailer we get is going to be very different than this. And this is a post-credit exclusive trailer, which I think is really cool. And this isn't the first time they've done it. It's just rare. They did this for, um, Civil War. Avengers, um, leading into from Captain America, first Avenger. It was a trailer for Avengers. And then, uh, Andy, what you're talking about, Ant-Man ended with a scene from Civil War. Mm. Where he breaks open the yeah yeah wood thing yeah but I loved it I thought it was hype and especially after ending this movie with a follow up of next time and then you hear the the VO of Cumberbatch being like the the multiverse is something you know frightening little about like all that stuff like this is fucking hype as hell I just can't believe we have to wait like seven months for it now. Yeah, uh, but I'm with Kevin on this one, though. I think I feel like that I, I want a little Easter egg at the end of that. Um, but before we get into the plot, the one thing I wanted to just point out was that in Spider-Man 3, we had two villains and two – well, actually, three villains, I guess, and one Spider-Man. And it just fundamentally was horrible to watch at the end. In this movie, we have three Spider-Man and five villains and two friends that are involved in the end. Five villains and, and the Strange. looming threat of Mysterio. And Doctor Strange. And Doctor Strange. And it all just works. And I think it's because they sat down and they really found a good, a, 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 an alternate way of approaching this, right? In that they make you care about each one of these villains, not because they have to beat them, but because you want, you're rooting for the hero to cure the villain. Mm-hmm. What a unique and weird and fun way to go about this. Like, I, you're, you're not worried so much. I mean, you're worried for the safety of the Spider-Man. Spider-Man's, but you're also like, hey, like Norman Osborn, we've seen him. He's actually hurting. He's like, he needs help. And despite the fact he that he killed so that man, good. it works. It's so well done. And like, just kudos to the team that put this together because that is a very, very, very difficult juggling act. Mm-hmm. And it worked. And it worked. And and with that, uh, right before we get to ads, I just want to say, you know, being a Spider-Man fan my entire life to the level that I am, like one of the most core things to some of the best Spider-Man storylines is all the stuff we talk about, about, you know, it being equal to Peter and Spider-Man and friends and all this stuff. 
But in terms of his supporting cast of superheroes, Doctor Strange and Daredevil are two of the key ones that are involved in some of the dopest storylines. And to get everything you just said, plus them in any way involved in this, like, of course, if he needs a lawyer, it's going to be Matt Murdock. I just love that we're at a point as a universe and as, as Hollywood movies are being made that, like, when we are asked the question, like, who should be this person in our fan minds? The answer is probably going to happen because they they know what they're doing and they built this shit out right to, like, allow that to be the case. That when we get a fight between Doctor Strange and Spider-Man, we believe in it. We understand where the stakes are at. Mm-hmm. And it's not a fight to the death. It's a fight to outsmart. And we've seen both of them as heroes in their own movies with fight scenes that are tailored for them to win. So I just – I think they really did something special with this. But before we get to the plot, let me tell you about our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by me undies. Of course, anybody that listens to this show knows that I absolutely love me undies, and you will rarely see me not wearing multiple articles of me undies clothing at any given time. Even right now, I got the shirt, I got the lounge pants, I got the undies, and I got the socks because I love covering myself in that soft micro modal fabric. You can get your festive on with the new me undies holiday collection featuring classic plaids you know and love and sweater inspired prints that will quickly become favorites. Their undies, loungewear, and sleepwear are made out of soft, breathable, stretchy fabrics that are ideal for sitting fireside with loved ones and a cup of hot cocoa. You can get the family photo you've always dreamed of with matching PJ sets. They're available in sizes extra small through 4XL, and MeUndies has a little something for everyone on your list. MeUndies has a great offer for you. First-time purchasers can get 15% off and free shipping. Your days of fighting for your life in the mall parking lot are over. To get 15% off your first order, free shipping, and 100% satisfaction guarantee Go to MeUndies.com slash morning. That's MeUndies.com slash morning. Next up, shout out to Trade Coffee. Whether you're a coffee nerd or a coffee newbie, you need to hear about Trade Coffee. They want to make every cup of coffee your best ever. Trade matches you to a selection of their over 400 craft coffees, all based on how you answer their coffee quiz. They consider whether you like French press, auto brew, or even cold brew, and pair you with the perfect choice. And if you don't love it, they'll replace it with a different bag for free. Trade Coffee is awesome. It's really fun to do the quiz and, you know, just kind of learn a little bit more about the wild world of coffee that's out there. For you guys right now, Trade is offering your first bag free and $5 off your bundle at checkout. To get yours, go to drinktrade.com slash kindoffunny and use promo code kindoffunny. Take the quiz to start your journey to the perfect cup. That's D-R-I-N-K-T-R-A-D-E dot com slash kindoffunny. Promo code kindoffunny for your first bag free and $5 off your bundle. And this holiday season, give the coffee lover in your life the gift of better coffee too. Again, that's drinktrade.com slash kind of funny. Promo code kind of funny. Next up, shout out to Audible. This episode is sponsored by Audible, and I bet you have discerning tastes and you're always looking for something new to listen to. Well, you should check out Andy Ware's Project Hail Mary on Audible. It's an interstellar science-based thriller from the best-selling author of The Martian that's skillfully performed by Ray Porter, who brings the already gripping tale to life with vibrant and witty narration. In it, a lone astronaut must save the Earth from disaster in an epic tale of discovery, speculation, and survival. It's part scientific mystery, part intergalactic journey, and all edge-of-your-seat entertainment. This Audible Studios production of Project Hail Mary is a number one New York Times audio bestseller and continues to top Audible's bestseller charts and garner rave listener reviews. You don't want to miss this. Listeners are already calling it. It's the highest order of geekgasm metal. Uh, you can go to audible.com slash project hail mary and listen now. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash project 
Hail Mary. Finally, shout out to HBO Max. Tis the season to discover exclusive originals, addictive series, and award-winning performances. And you can get into the holiday spirit with Max originals like 8-Bit Christmas, a stop-motion animation extravaganza. Or, if classics are more your speed, they have you covered there, too, with Elf, Miracle on 34th Street, The Polar Express, Gremlins, of course, that's a Christmas movie. And if you haven't seen it in a while, it's hilarious, so go check it out. Who could have forgot everyone's favorite, A Christmas Story? HBO Max is the streaming home of over 13,000 hours of addictive series, blockbuster movies, and exclusive originals. Turn binge-worthy watching new favorites into your next holiday tradition. Uh, you guys... I've been loving HBO Max. I've been loving it a lot. There's so much fun stuff to watch, whether it's reality shows like F-Boy Island or the upcoming Matrix Revolutions. Get hyped. I can't wait to see it. Visit hbo.ax slash kfdec to start streaming on your favorite devices today. That's hbo.ax slash kfdec to start streaming on your favorite devices today. It's a kind of funny December. kfdec. Check it out. Plus, plus. Everybody, welcome to Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, we start right where we left off, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Far From Home ended, of course, with the news report kicking over to the one and the only J.J. J. Jonah Jameson, uh, announcing to the world that Peter Parker was, in fact, Spider-Man. We pick up there as your logos and credits roll with the narration of the Fox News guy leading into, of course, J.J.'s reveal. And then there it is. What the fuck? But it's bleeped by a little horn or whatever. And pandemonium on the streets of New York, of course, as there's a giant group of people already on the street who just saw Spider-Man put down MJ. Uh, they immediately are right into it. They're just, oh, my God, freaking out. Peter looks down at MJ. They're starting to surround her, asking if she you know, she's, knows him, if she's his girlfriend. He just came down, blah, 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 blah. He jumps down there. He grabs her. Let's get out of here. He has to push a lady away, and the lady immediately is like, Spider-Man, push me. <laughs> it. Ever you saw he hit it. me. He hit me. Yeah, exactly, right? The guy jumps up and grabs his leg. Yeah, and he flails <laughs> off. Right? Yeah, I, I, so this whole sequence, I think, was so was presented so tonally different than the way it was presented in any of the marketing material. Um, it was way more fun and silly, and I, I did not expect the intro of this movie to have such a lighthearted tone. Even despite like what the actual um, what the actual danger not really danger but just like the fact that everybody knows and everybody thinks you're a murderer and that you killed a lot of people and it was like a fun romp <laughs> and I just was not expecting that whatsoever and yet it still works because they just kind of know what to do and how to get the exact sort of percentage of funny to like you know what the threat is um, what the tension is you know. With with yeah. that, I think it's a testament to the, the the quality of the writing of these characters for the last three movies so that when we get Zendaya, J Jacob, and Tom together or even just on a cell phone together and the dialogue on script is literally, dude, 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 we know that means so much more than just saying the same word five times. You know what I mean? Like yeah. these people are friends and we know their history and we understand that each dude means something different. Mm -hmm. Dude, indeed. They swing up. They get to the top of the bridge. Well, first off, of course, uh, MJ's freaking out the entire time because, of course, we, we, we introduced web-slinging with a partner <laughs> at the end of Far From Home. She hated it, right? So Her jumping off, like when they, they the second time they swing, and she's like, okay, just let's go, let's go. And they jump off the bridge. The look of fear on her face, it's like, yeah. that's acting, man. Like, she <laughs> nailed that. It's such a great thing because, like, 
for me personally, as a dumb kid watching Superman over and over, Richard Donner, right? Like, at no point in time did I ever think of when Superman and Lois are flying and Superman literally is, they're holding hands, like, going like this, that she would just be dangling. Because you're a kid, you're not thinking, like, back in the day, I'm sure, the superhero movie, nobody's paying attention. And I remember when that was revealed to me, like, Wizard Magazine or whatever, I was like, oh, my God, that's crazy. It's so fucked up then to... All the Spider-Man movies I've ever seen, all the Spider-Man comics I've ever read, I never thought of what a fucking terrifying, horrifying experience that would be for a normal human being. You know, we are so used to fucking MJ hugging a mannequin in Spider-Man One, and they stiffly swing. You're like, oh, yeah, it would be great. Skydiving, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was so fucking awesome that they they yeah they uh, acknowledge that last movie, and then they continued it on here right as they go through. And yeah, again, uh, we get the dude call with Ned. We get everybody freaking out. Uh, people, you know, the helicopter watching them. Uh, they jump down, they go into the subway, almost get hit by a train, another terrifying thing. Of course, Peter was in control. Get him over there. Uh, how cool they... was to see that in live action, him just sh- like... Oh, coming like, right up yeah, w- no, yeah, maneuvering down there. Because like, we've seen that in one of the games, right, where you're fighting... Hulk, Blizzard in the Neversoft game. Shocker, and, uh, too, right? down. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just wild. I loved it. Um, it was awesome. It was amazing. Uh, eventually, of course, they, you know, used the subway tunnels to get back to, uh, the house, Peter's house, or, well, apartment. Um, as they come, or they're getting, they come in, well, where we get a thing of, uh, happy crying at the front door because <laughs> May is breaking off the summer fling with him. It's over, you know, get out of here kind of thing. He's like, you can go longer. He's, you know, negotiating and talking, trying to stay, uh, in the game here with May. Uh, of course, then they hear, uh, MJ and Peter in the room. They go in, they open the door, it looks like they're getting ready to get down and have sex. Uh, in fact, it's, you know, just the pandemonium of the situation right there. Uh, May makes a comment about safe sex, it's real funny and stuff. And then Peter runs around the house, you know, webbing windows, closing things, trying to, you know, talk to them to break the news to him or to them about what's going on. And divert a bit, right? Uh, but Gregor, course, Gregor, Gregor, Gregor. Yeah, sorry, Andy Cortez. Were they born, born in lambs? Now it's time to rank those ass. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. To rank those abs, a podcast within a podcast here, brought to you by our sponsors. I'm your host, Nick Scarpino, alongside Andy Cortez. Andy, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling great, especially after seeing the bulk and the glow-up of an already muscly and tight Tom Holland. This dude got bigger, and his body is fucking chiseled. Holy shit. Now, Andy, of course, we have to ask the, the, the question on everyone's lips right now. What's... What's better, Tom Holland's abs or the terrible wig that Benedict Cumberbatch was wearing the entire movie? Oh, God. What the fuck? Hit the song, Andy. Okay, hold on. I have the song right here. Is it a wig? I don't know. Wigging out with Scarpino. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. and a podcast. Wigging out with Scarpino. I'm your host, Nick Scarpino, alongside my co-host, Andy Cortez. Andy, how are you feeling today? I'm I'm feeling great, Nick. Thank you for asking. Also, I I thought we would reference this when we see Benedict. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to throw it out there because that was the problem. Was it was bad in this, and then it was somehow even worse in the trailer for the 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 new one, uh, the Horror Most House of Madness. Um, dude, they got a million. Dude, just dye his hair, bro, bro. Like, what what are we doing? Why do why do we have this it, Eddie Munster Dracula wig on? It was on particularly terrible at it first introduction. It was, and then like later on, when they, like, it must have been a reshoot or something, because later on he's got the loose hair. The, I guess I actually have like the loose hair hanging. I was like, that looks good. Like you know what I mean? Now now it looks natural. Not this yeah, looks like as said. as bad as the wig. Like when when they cut back and forth for the reshoots for. 
uh, Justice League, or it was like Ben Affleck's like 20 pounds lighter and it clearly has a wig, and you're like, oh my god, this is terrible. <laughs> Jacob Batalone's <laughs> wig's still pretty damn good. Well, yeah, yeah hey, we're, we're, we're staring born, at every scene. Born in Labs, now it's time to rank those abs. I just want to give a shout out to Jacob Batalone for losing a staggering 102 pounds for this Jeez, role. Please. That's nice. So, yeah. I forget, because I remember he lost the weight, but there's some shots where he, he's still – is he still big, or did they put him in a thing to make him still look big? Where were we at with that? I think I think uh, it was – the recording was in between him losing weight, because, like, looking at him in an interview is now – He's significantly. Oh my god! In interviews, that's the thing. Yeah, and so I, that was my thing of like I was like watching this. I'm like, he's already lost weight in the film, but I know he's, you know, even lighter than. Anyway, I, anyway, yeah, Tom Holland is super buff, and I know he put on a lot of bulk for Uncharted because he didn't want to look like a child next to Mark uh, Wahlberg. So he he was already chiseled and cut because he's just an athlete and a gymnast and shit, and he somehow found a way to get bulkier and keep that cut sort of look, and he looks incredible. I loved the joke though about uh, MJ picking up the the beard dye. Oh yeah, 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 which is <laughs> fucking hilarious. <laughs> which also, like, now that we're talking about his beard, like, holy shit, his beard in the trailer—not the like the uh, you know strange supreme one, but like him at the start of it—it's just. Like, it looks like they, he dyed it jet black, and then someone, like, was like, let's Paint lower it over. the, it's the saturate. Yeah. God, it's wild. It, it, look, it looks like literally move. someone took a grease pen and just painted it on him. It yeah, is. it looks like they – it's very I can't wait for that. Like, the wig didn't notice it once. Uh, yeah, I didn't notice the wig either. That's funny. Uh, yeah, I'm not that. even – you know I'm not even, like, Nick. I have a great hairline, so I rarely look at other people's hairline. It's not, like, one of my hangups. Uh, <laughs> but, like, when it popped up, I was like, what the fuck? Because it looks like they painted it in, like, the, the widow's peak. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it was nuts. It's bad. Yeah, anyway, that's it. Thank you. Anyway, hey, thank you for thank you for listening. To <laughs> rank, uh, rank those abs.